discretion is advised. Cause the place is here and the time is now. I have two words for you, predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? Drones are being used in drone strikes, and I support that entirely and feel the president was right. There's a reason why we shouldn't be using drones. It's because we don't just take out the target. We take out a lot of innocent civilians in these countries where these drones attack. This is basically blowing up in our faces. We've seen the blowback all across the Middle East. What if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? Free I hate categories. Categories are okay for going to grocery store. But for me, the categories screwed a lot of people up. We'll make everything metal. Blacker than the blackest black times infinity. All I want is peace and love on this planet. Free Thought Radio, the best in underrated and underplayed music. As San Diego's only source for heavy metal and other genres that are ignored by mainstream radio. San Diego's only libertarian talk show in a conservative-dominated market. More hard-hitting journalism than even the professionals themselves. Free Thought Radio. Free speech. Free expression. And... Free snow collar! Only on KKSM Oceanside AM 1320. The Radio Revolution. Podcast airing on LRN.FM. The Liberty Radio Network. Welcome everybody to another episode of Free Thought Radio. Now I am absolutely pooped. Um, spent the weekend <laughs> traveling a lot. Um, first on Thursday, went to the Drone Diego protests outside of General Atomics in Poway. Very, very awesome and powerful event. A lot of turnout, a lot of media coverage, and a lot of uh, great people coming out to to say that these things should have oversight. I mean, I personally would like to see drones go away because they are government-created technology, just like nuclear bombs. Uh, I support the Second Amendment, you know, but people do kill people. Guns don't kill people, but, you know, people do kill people. Drones don't kill people, but when's the last time you owned a drone for self-defense? Can you own a nuclear bomb for self-defense? A lot of these things are creations of the military-industrial complex for government war purposes only. Um, so I think I have to draw a line when it comes to drones, but unfortunately my no-drone utopia will never come to be. So at the very least, there should be oversight and people's uh, lives and jobs should be put towards more productive uses. Uh, I also tra uh, traveled to Sacramento for the Libertarian California Convention, interviewed a lot of cool people like Sarchild, who's going to be later in the program, and L.K. Samuels, who's the author of In Defense of Chaos, going to be later in the program. Um, and <laughs> driving to San or Sacramento in one day is, uh, is a daunting task, but it happened. But uh, excuse me if I'm a little disorient disoriented in this uh, episode. But cool person I met at uh, the Drone Diego protest was Medea Benjamin of Code Pink, um, who took Code Pink to Pakistan to talk to victims of drone strikes. Um, and so, uh, I have a few different Joan Diego interviews, so Medea is going to be my first one, and we did it live at the event. Joining me now is Medea Benjamin. She's the co-founder of Code Pink, Women for Peace. Medea, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. 
So tell us about how you founded Code Pink and why you guys uh, think that is important for women to get involved in the peace movement. Well, we think it's important for women and men to get involved in the peace movement, and especially young people. We need a lot more young people in the peace movement. And it's important because, you know, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan has cost each household $75,000 and destroyed an, an entire countries and killed thousands and thousands of people, made us less safe at home, took the lives of so many of our soldiers. And now we have the drone wars that are killing thousands of people overseas, that are making people hate us around the world. And if we don't do anything, this is going to be the state of perpetual war. And I think this is not the future. This is not the kind of world that we, we want to live in. Um, I just came back from something called the World Social Forum, where 50,000 people who want to see a, a better world come together and uh, under the, the, the sign, another world is possible. And I think the other world that we would like to see is not a world of killer drones. Exactly. And it's just been revealed that the Iraq and Afghanistan wars are five plus trillion dollars. The CIA and the MI6 knew that um, there was no threat from Iraq, no WMDs, no connection to 9-11. What, what do you make of the lies that brought us into war? I think it's disgusting. And I, I, uh, George Bush is having his uh, memorial library opened up uh, at the end of this month. And Obama's going there and Bill Clinton and uh, even uh, Jimmy Carter will be there. And they treat, uh, they treat the Bush uh, as if he is some great statesman and Cheney and Rumsfeld and all of those war criminals. Yeah. And of course, uh, Obama wouldn't do anything to bring them to justice. And then he followed in the same footsteps by continuing a lot of the policies. So I, I think it's terrible that we don't have any accountability in this country and that we allow our elected officials to um, be involved in war crimes without holding them to task for it. What do you make of the two-party continuity between uh, between all of these uh, policies, these presidents, um, back, back and forth? Nothing seems to change. I think it's very sad that we have such a corrupt two-party system where companies like General Atomics, where we are right now, uh, line the pockets of Congress people, and those Congress people then turn around and say, oh, let's get billions of dollars worth of equipment from these companies, and we need these jobs. So it's a corrupt system, both Democrat and Republican, and it really means that the military-industrial complex is the only one who benefits. Exactly. And Duncan Hunter Jr. was here not too long ago giving a big presentation at General Atomics. So, so you and Code Pink went to Pakistan, obviously, where, where many of our drones are, are dropping bombs on innocent people indiscriminately. Um, what was your experience there? And um, given that the Times Square bombers, his motive was due to the indiscriminate killing, of, not to justify his actions, but again, understanding where it comes from, what, what did the whole experience teach you about uh, are the, the effects of these drone strikes? Well, it made me realize how much hatred we're sowing around the world, that, you know, in that part of the world, um, people have a real strong sense of uh, value, dignity, family, and... Um, and revenge. And it's not such a strange concept because if you think what the U.S. has been doing since 9-11 for the last 10 plus years, it's revenge. Uh, and uh, they want to get the people who killed them. So the drones are the biggest recruiting tool that the Taliban and al-Qaeda have. And we're sowing hatred. We're terrorizing entire populations. We see that 
Uh, families afraid to send their kids to school because schools have been hit. They're afraid to go to the market. They're afraid to be driving in their cars. They're afraid to go to weddings and funerals and community meetings. And they said to us, why are you terrorizing us in your war against terror? And I think that uh, when you think that every drone strike creates uh, new enemies, you look at one drone strike, we met uh, people whose uh, loved ones had been killed in a drone strike that killed 42 of the most respected leaders of the community at one time. And that just sowed hatred throughout the whole uh, area. So you're standing here where we are in front of General Atomics, you realize they're the only ones who benefit from this. You know, it's, it's just the, uh, the war profiteers and everybody else suffers. We suffer, we're victims here in this country, uh, but the real victims, of course, are the people in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Afghanistan, uh, potentially now Mali, uh, and other places where the U.S. is using or might be using these drones. Exactly. It's kind of like the um, the whole narrative about drones in this country is very nativist and nationalist, that we only care about when it happens to ourselves. We kind of look at people across the border as less than human, as animals, uh, vilifying them. Yet if one, even one person were killed by a drone strike like we do over there, we would be up in arms, we'd be in another war. Um, what, what do you make of the disparity about pe how people view them own selves uh, in, in a national sense and how they kind of disregard people that live in other countries that are dying in far greater numbers than just one person, which would cause such an outrage here. It's all about what people are taught by their leaders and their media. And if our leaders won't even acknowledge that we have this drone program, our leaders won't say that we've killed uh, any innocent people, um, then, uh, and the media doesn't talk about it, never shows us a drone victim, not one drone victim, a dead body, or the pieces of flesh hanging on trees have been seen by people in this country. So, you know, what are they supposed to know or think? Um, we're taught not to value the lives of people overseas. This is a very racist country. We're killing poor people of color in other countries. And um, it's, it's a very sad reflection on uh, the leadership of this nation that we don't teach people that every single life is as important as every other life. And when we were in Pakistan and said to the people, your children are as valuable as our children, your lives are as valuable as our lives, they said that's the first time that they ever heard Americans utter anything like that. Exactly. And that goes to the media's narrative, which made me want to puke when I saw that CNN's only mention of drones was giving it a Medal of Honor, something that actual people get, but now they're giving it to robots. Um, that's the entire coverage mention of drones on the media. The rest is just kind of all sensational news. What do you make about the kind of block in the information highway that the mainstream media kind of puts in front of people that they don't even know that this is going on? I think it's a huge obstacle that we're up against. If you look back at World War II, I don't glorify any war because I want to see an end to war, but in World War II, everybody in the country was involved in some way or another. Uh, then came Vietnam, and there was a draft, and so a lot of people were involved, not the whole population, but a lot of people. And then you fast forward to today, where a minuscule percentage of the U.S. population has any direct involvement in the wars, and so it's really 
hard to mobilize. And if the media doesn't talk about it and people don't see the effects in their daily lives, of course, they don't see that they are paying, as in the case of Iraq and Afghanistan, $75,000 per household. Um, but they don't see it. They don't hear about it out of sight, out of mind. Um, that's why you get these polls that show the majority of people think it's fine to kill a terrorist suspect, which is a terrible indictment of the U.S. that the majority of people think it's okay to kill somebody before they've been accused of any but ever anything, had a trial, been convicted, you just wipe them out. Exactly. And somebody half halfway across the world is given the death penalty without being able to face their accuser. Um, and there is a serious power in the hands of the commander-in-chief to just cease this. I interviewed uh, Gary Johnson, one of the presidential candidates, said that if he were in office, he would have just ceased it immediately. I would assume the same for Jill Stein and and Rocky Anderson and um, Roseanne and, of course, Cindy Sheehan, um, that no matter who, um, what do you make of the kind of the debate process that shut them out, all, all of them, and but yet kept, uh, you know, the two candidates who supported, both supported drone strikes very heavily um, from actually being able to us to make political change for people that, because we're stuck with these people that are in office, they're not doing anything about it. What, what do you make about the political obstacles to this? Well, I think it's a system that's rotten to the core and one that uh, really is in bed with the military-industrial complex as well as corporations in general. And I think it's terrible that we can't have a healthy third-party debate with uh, lots of different currents of thought uh, reflected in the, in the electoral system and that we have to break through that and recognize that even though there's liberal Democrats, they're not standing up to their president. If uh, George Bush were doing these things, there would be yelling bloody murder, and when it's Obama, they're quiet about it. So it's, uh, even for the, 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 the good ones, it's about partisan politics more than it's about ethics, morality, international law, uh, respect for the Constitution. Um, so between the media, the corporations, and the electoral system, we've got a lot of obstacles, but if you look around the world, there are people who had even worse obstacles and they managed to overthrow their governments. And so, you know, we've got to be inspired by other people, other countries, and just uh, find better ways of organizing and forcing change. And we are out here doing just that, Drone Diego demonstrations. Um, what, do you, what, what are you guys doing in the future? And uh, talk a bit about what, what you seek to accomplish today as a final question. We're going to have this great month of actions all over the country with protests happening at bases, happening at manufacturers, happening at the uh, White House, at the offices of Congress people, uh, religious people in their communities starting to bring this up in their faith-based uh, centers. And uh, and I think we're, we're really having an effect on public opinion, a huge impact on public opinion. It's changing rapidly, which is very exciting. And I just came back from uh, a World Social Forum in Tunisia where we had people from, in, my, in the workshop that I did on drones, people from 15 different countries, and they said, we want an international anti-drones network. And so we're going to be creating that very soon. And I think that kind of uh, world pressure is one of the things that's really going to help to change this policy. Awesome. Well, Medea Benjamin, co-founder co of Code Pink Women for Peace, thank you very much for joining the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. And that was my guest, Medea Benjamin of Code Pink. Be sure to head over to codepink.org or is it, is it codepinkalert.org, I think. Um, either one of those. Check them out. They're a great organization. Um, really great on, on foreign policy and, and uh, bringing about uh, awareness to 
the issues of war and the consequences of, of nationalism, of viewing ourselves as somehow superior to people across the border when all people are the same. Borders and oceans should not divide us. We're all individuals. I, uh, I don't, you know, arbitrary government drawn borders should not make anyone less of a human. We are all individuals. We are all different, and we should stop killing each other um, for profit of these large war profiteers. Defense is okay, yes, but we are so far beyond that. Uh, we are engaged in offense and really terrorism with a bigger budget, I think. And that's what these drones are. I mean, we're terrorizing these people, and we are creating more enemies than we can kill. Uh, in fact, the Times Square bomber's entire motive was based on revenge for drone strikes. He probably was not even a member of Al-Qaeda beforehand. This is the biggest recruiting tool they have. Never mind that the CIA created the damn Al-Qaeda organization in the first place. I mean, back with Rumsfeld and Brzezinski under the Carter administration, going to Afghanistan, sowing the seeds, giving them money and guns and training and everything so that they can fight the Soviets. You know, the horrible notion of the enemy of my enemy is my somehow my friend. Uh, well, this is what happens. And then once they stop kowtowing to our interests, then we brush them aside, but then they get to do pretty much grown to whatever they want. But then somehow along the line uh, here in 2013, we're in Syria funding the Syrian rebellion, which has al-Qaeda in their own rankings. So how the, how the hell does our foreign policy make any sense? Not to me. Um, which brings me to the first song of tonight on the playlist. It's by a band called Cage, and it's called Shoot to Kill. And one of the lyrics is, they program your mind so you won't disobey. Now, one of the speakers at, at the Libertarian uh, Convention in Cal uh, Party of California was from Oath Keepers. And Oath Keepers is a great organization that seeks to educate current active duty military and police officers to, hey... Your oath is not to a politician, a political party, or unjust laws. Like, for example, disobeying orders. If there would have been oath keepers down in the South during segregation, there would have been people unenforcing segregation. That's what we need some unenforcement of unconstitutional, like the Patriot Act, unenforcement of the Patriot Act. Somebody from your higher above says, you need to go search that person without a warrant because we suspect them of terrorism. Don't let your body, that's your body, don't let it be used for, for work purposes to violate somebody else's rights. Use your body to be a true peace officer. It, that's possible in both the military and the police uh, squads. There's a great picture of all the people in, Ger in Nazi Germany, you know, in that giant crowd holding up their right hands. And by the way, you know, today is the... Um, uh, Holocaust Memorial Day, um, all the people holding up their hands in salute to Hitler. One guy did not have his hand up. That's the uh, essence of Oath Keepers is holding down your hand when the rest of the crowd is. I don't think that's not a, a, you know, a right wing or a left wing thing. I think it's a human thing because our rights are natural. They are not subject to any kind of government laws. The Bill of Rights was written to protect those rights, not to establish those rights. So, uh, you know, the the uh, anarchist argument that the, you know, the Constitution doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, these rights are supposed to be natural. Um, so, you know, the Constitution, it would be nice if we went back to the Constitution. Don't get me wrong. 
it would be insanely nice if we followed these basic Ten Amendments of the Constitution. But we shouldn't rely on that to, to um, protect our rights. We should establish right now that our rights are natural and inherent to our humanity. That's my argument for being an atheist. Some people say it comes from your, your God, a creator, whatever. No matter what, you're an individual. You have a right to consent. And if someone wants to take your rights away without consent, don't let them. And, and, and then, you know, I'm just talking about U.S. citizens right now. I'm, talk, I'm a, being a very selfish nationalist person right now, um, even though you know, I'm being sarcastic in that I'm not nationalist or anything like that. What about due process for people overseas? The Constitution says no person shall have their life, liberty, or property deprived without due process of law. Well, we're depriving so many people's lives. We're, we're killing them without due process. Even the people that, like, since drones' accuracy are 2%, the rest, 98% is collateral damage, even the 2%, that person could just be suspected. Not even uh, trial by absentia, like uh, me and Starchild are going to talk about later in the episode. You know, just to at least, you know, have some, at least some evidence. So they're, or, or send them a subpoena, you know, giving them the right to face their accuser. But no, we kill suspects. And then 98% is collateral damage. People who are deprived of their lives without due process or without even thought that they should be killed or would be killed. Because again, collateral damage. Well, the sign I held at the protest at Drone Diego was one man's collateral damage is another man's son. So I would like all of you to put yourself in a Pakistani's shoes. Imagine if your child died as collateral damage for a drone strike. And hey, if you're over there, you can't even tell because, you know, you don't know who else got killed because you might be dead or the other person. And they could be a suspect. So you know them better than the U.S. government does and would be able to seriously recognize that fatal flaw so i would hope we would get some oversight on these drones my guest after this break and the cage song here is barry ladendorf of san diego veterans for peace but the song up right now is shoot to kill by cage great heavy metal band originating from san diego here on kksm the radio revolution and lrn.fm the liberty radio network commercials after this will be right back after that Yeah. 
dangerous radio station in San Diego. Do you have any control over how creepy you allow yourself to get? Okay, so we added sexually in there. But we have hired better security. KKSM, the radio revolution. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Are you tired of governments around the world killing innocent people? Stop using their money. There is an alternative. Bitcoin is a stateless, free market, non-political currency. Bitcoin is money that cannot be inflated or controlled by any state. By continuing to use their money, you're perpetuating the killing. Stop doing it. You have an incredible alternative available to you now. Learn it, use it, spread it. Get started with Bitcoin at WeUseCoins.com. It's WeUseCoins.com. KKSM is on Facebook. We're so excited to be part of the social media world that we called up random people in the phone book to let them know. KKSM's on Facebook. What do you think about that? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not in the mood to play. Can I have somebody with some sense, please? I, I, don't, I have three other calls on the line that I've got customers on the phone. What is your name, sir? <laughs> Is there anyone out there that can speak with the mic? I don't, I'm not understanding you. Put somebody on there with some education. I cannot hear you, sir. Are you talking to a speakerphone or are you smoking? Well, bless your heart, you need to go take a nap. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash KKSM Radio. Are you some kind of mongoloid moron? You're part of the radio revolution. KKSM. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fiddle. Be sure to visit the website, freethoughtmedia.org. And I am accepting Bitcoin for donation. My address is up there. Uh, and the live page is freethoughtmedia.org slash live. Or you can listen on AM 1320 in your car, Cox Cable Channel 957, which is in San Diego. Um, but if you're on the live page, you have the KKSM uh, Ustream plugin and the, the uh, webcam plug-in you have to play both at the same time because one is audio one's video of course audio is the most important being on radio there is also the lrn.fm uh, live stream uh, player plugged in if you want to tune into lrn.fm monday through friday 12 to 3 p.m eastern time saturday 1 to 4 p.m eastern time and sunday 9 a.m to 3 p.m eastern time that's when the weekly podcast loop airs on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network, and that's when the podcast of this show should be airing. Um, and be sure They have a lot of great libertarian and anarchist-leaning programming, uh, straight from New Hampshire, the Free State Project. All those great free staters uh, keeping, it, keeping it real when it comes to liberty. And speaking of one of those organizations that keeps it real when it comes to liberty, uh, copblock.org issues a weekly police accountability report that goes on lrn.fm so it is 6 30 that means it's time for your kksm news brief and for this news brief i will be playing the cop block police accountability report 
Before you cross the street, you better look both ways, or we'll throw you in the pokey for a dozen days. And all around the county, every woman and man knows we'll pull you over just to play our banjo. The Police Accountability Report, brought to you by CopLock.org. CopLock is a decentralized project supported by a diverse group of individuals united by their shared goals of police accountability, education of individual rights, and the dissemination of effective tactics to utilize while filming police. From Keene in the Shire, the Liberty Media Capital of the World, this is Daryl W. Perry, host of the Police Accountability Report, brought to you by CopBlock.org. This week, a couple of stories that should cause anyone critically thinking to see that those wearing badges aren't always operating with the best of intentions. A rape case in Memphis, Tennessee has ended in a mistrial, and a sheriff's deputy has been suspended after allegations of jury tampering. Shelby County Criminal Court Judge Paula Scahan declared the mistrial on Friday, March 29th in the case against Carl Miller Jr., Sheriff's Deputy Charles Govan was working in the Criminal Justice Center when he allegedly spoke to two jurors during a lunch break. The judge told the jurors that Govan said, You know what to do when you get upstairs. It's a circumstantial case. Get this expletive over with. The judge added that she was outraged. Govan was not questioned in the courtroom, and it was not clear why he had an interest in the case. A new trial has been set for later this year. In other news, this past week, a former Jefferson Parish Sheriff's deputy pled not guilty to charges that he engaged in a scheme to kill a man to prevent him from reporting the deputy's alleged theft and misuse of his debit card. A 60-count federal indictment unsealed charges the former deputy, Mark Hebert, with stealing Albert Block's debit card and using it to make dozens of unauthorized transactions after responding to a 2007 car accident that left the man hospitalized. Hebert isn't explicitly charged with killing Block, but the indictment accuses him of either killing the man with specific intent or participating in unspecified conduct that caused his death. John Fortunato, a spokesman for the sheriff's office, said Block was reported missing, but a body has never been found. Hebert's attorney said his client didn't kill Block and will fight the charges against him. He had nothing to do with the disappearance of Albert Block. Certainly, we don't even know if Albert Block is dead or alive. Hebert surrendered to federal authorities and pled not guilty to all 60 counts at his arraignment. The indictment says Block reported the fraudulent charges that Hebert made and had his bank block the use of his card. Hebert, however, is accused of obtaining a replacement card for Block's account. The indictment claims he tried to cover his tracks by concealing Block's car in the rear of a Matarey apartment complex and keeping the key to the car in his police vehicle. He is also accused of taking bank documents from Block's home to get more information about his accounts. The indictment lists tens of thousands of dollars in purchases that were made on Block's cards or funds that were transferred from his accounts. The FBI and the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office investigated the case. Hebert joined the sheriff's office in 1998 and was fired in November 2007, according to Fortunato. That's this week's police accountability report brought to you by CopBlock.org. I hope you'll take a moment to consider just what it is that you are being forced to pay for with taxation and speak out against the corruption. 
CopBlock is a decentralized project supported by a diverse group of individuals united by their shared goal of police accountability. We highlight the double standard that some grant to those with badges by pointing to and supporting those harmed. By documenting police actions, whether they are illegal, immoral, or just a waste of time and resources, then putting direct pressure on the individuals responsible, ideally while recording and then later sharing. We can work together to bring about transparency and have a real impact. We do not hate cops. We believe that no one, not even those with badges, has extra rights. When you're in our county and you want to drive, just remember to go 55. And that was the police accountability report brought to you by copblock.org, and that airs throughout the LRN.fm news breaks. The weather outside in San Marcos, California, where, Calif- where KKSM and this show broadcast out of is 59 degrees currently. And the traffic, um, the only uh, highway with problem areas that you'd be able to pick up the AM1320 signal at is the 805 northbound at La Jolla Village Drive in Miramar Road is 36 miles per hour slowdown. Broadcasting live from KKSM for KKSM and LRN.FM. My name is Alex Fiddle, host here of Free Thought Radio. There's also a slowdown, 5 northbound at 76, 50 miles per hour slowdown. Now, continuing on with my guests uh, from Drone Diego. Uh, my my next guest is Barry Ladendorf of the San Diego Veterans for Peace, and in a few weeks I have Peter Chris. He's the founder of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition on the show. He made a great point that Vietnam veterans against the war, you can say what you want about what they come to their conclusion is, but you can't say that they don't know what they're talking about because they were there on the front lines. Same with the cops who say that we should legalize all drugs. They know that prohibition is going to put them in greater harm by actually creating the black market, creating the gangs, rather than shifting production to you and I who could start entrepreneurial businesses, control quality, check for ID, zoning that prevents us from being near schools, like reason- reasonable zoning, you know, not I'm a libertarian, not for any of that um, convoluted zoning crap, but you know, reasonable zoning. And of course, Veterans for Peace has the same model, you know, that they were on the front line, they know what they are talking about. So I would heed their words because they have that special insight being veterans themselves. Joining me now is Barry Ladendorf. He is of San Diego Veterans for Peace and also the national chapter of Veterans for Peace. We're here at the Drone Diego demonstrations happening right outside General Atomics facility in uh, Poway, California. Barry, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Alex. Good to be with you. So talk a bit about these demonstrations. What do you think... um, uh, we're accomplishing by uh, bringing about this public awareness about the consequences of drone warfare. Well, hopefully uh, today's a big crowd and uh, this, I, I think, a very successful event we've had here today. It's going to raise the consciousness and uh, the awareness level of people. Uh, is one I think Medea may have mentioned earlier. I don't know if she mentioned it to you, but one of the things that's happened in the last few, uh, few uh, weeks and months is that people who are working at General Atomics have actually called members of Veterans for Peace. They've called Medea Benjamin, and they've told her and and members of our own chapter that they work there. They don't want to reveal their name, but they're very 
very much in support of what we're doing, that there are a lot of people who work there that aren't happy that now that drones are being armed and are killing people in these other countries and that they are creating enemies for the United States. So rather than being more secure, that one of the messages that we want to get out, and I think we're being successful in doing that, is that these drones are creating more enemies for the United States, and they're creating problems for us domestically. Uh, one of the things I think, too, uh, Alex, is that you may have seen in the uh, local media is that there have been some uh, a big push to make San Diego County a drone testing area. There are, oh, there, there are a number of areas throughout the United States that are vying for that uh, uh, being selected as a drone testing area. And there are people in the Military Advisory Council here in San Diego that are pushing strongly to get this whole area of San Diego County from here to Imperial County and beyond as part of this testing area where they'll, bring, they'll have hundreds, maybe thousands of drones flying around this area. Now, a couple of that with a story that also hit the paper, uh, the news today about some problems at San Diego Airport with errors that have been made by air traffic controllers that have brought that into attention. Now, throw into that mix thousands of drones flying around in the in the community, and you can understand why the air traffic and are sorry the airline uh, pilots association is very much concerned about having these drones flying around in airspace, you know, controlled airspaces, uh, and the safety that uh, issues that arise from that. So. There are a lot of issues that haven't been resolved, and we seem to be, in the drone industry, leaping ahead of any thoughtful regulation, any thoughtful idea of what we're going to be doing in the future. So hopefully this demonstration and others like it across the country will raise awareness and consciousness of these issues, and maybe people will begin to put pressure on their representatives in the Congress and on the White House itself that killing people in other countries, uh, surveilling Americans, isn't the path we want to go down. Exactly, and a uh, story anecdotal of that in the New, uh, I think it was JFK Airport in New York. Yeah, they had it was 200 feet away. It was an almost collision. So that exactly what you're talking about, you have more of a chance of a drone using the war on terror to take a plane down more than an actual terrorist would would be able to do. So, so it's just kind of ironic if that's our goal is to is to fight terrorism and. I, I know you mentioned that. I, I, I do believe that it is already happening. My co- one of my college professors mentioned that he saw somebody. I'm not going to name his name, uh, professor or who he saw. He said that he saw somebody near Cal State San Marcos. Just he thought it was a model airplane, but it turns out to be a drone. And now we won't even know if they are testing it. Um, uh, one of the um, uh, I think through the Seattle Police Department. They had leaked some emails saying that San Diego had a drone and they were test driving it before they actually even put a down payment on it. Yeah. And the San Diego PD lied about it. We have to find it out through those leaked emails. What, what, what do you make of the fact that they've already been testing, test driving these without even putting a down payment on these? Well, well I mean, this is, this is the real problem, isn't it? That, you know, what, what's happening is, is that I don't believe that the state and local governments uh, have the kind of funding that they need to buy these drones. That's why Homeland Security is beyond it. They've been given billions of dollars to to hand out to local uh, governments, to local law enforcement agencies, and to spend all this money uh, on drone technology and, and getting way ahead of any rules, regulations, laws that govern, you know, things like what are we going to do about surveillance? What do we do with the information that's gathered? We're, what about the safety issues? So there are a lot of these things uh, locally and nationally and internationally that have to be resolved. I mean, I think, you know, the idea that, you know, we went into the Cold War after World War II thinking the United States had the bomb and that therefore we could control the world. It wasn't, 
but a few years later that the Russians develop. If we think that, that we're going to be the kingpins of drone technology and that the world is going to stand by and let us do what we're doing, we're out of our minds. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is this technology is going to go worldwide and we're going to have an arms race, uh, so to speak, in the drone uh, industry. And uh, if we don't get a control on it internationally through treaties, uh, through the United Nations and, and in our own airspace, we're in for a lot of trouble and a lot of problems. But uh, typically, we don't think very far ahead. We look for immediate immediate money, immediate uh, uh, idea that these create jobs. And you think about it, some of those uh, people that work in, in, uh, in the drone industry, the scientists, the engineers, if you look at some studies that have been done about uh, uh, employment, particularly out of uh, the University of um, uh, Massachusetts at Amherst, uh, political scientists there who have been doing this yearly study of jobs point out that if you're in the healthcare industry, the education, green technology, you can create far more jobs than you can in the military industrial complex world. Uh, that's a message that's not getting out. And I think that many of these engineers and scientists would much rather be working on fast rail, uh, you know, medical issues or technology or uh, environmental issues that will save the planet rather than working on something that's going to destroy the planet. Exactly. I know Medea pointed out during her speech that, you know, it shouldn't all be about jobs. And I was watching, you know, footage of, of a concentration camp in Nazi Germany guy had he had a job bulldozing piles and piles of dead bodies uh, yeah. should 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 we you know just give jobs out if it means killing people especially overseas where it creates enemies oh of course not no I mean that's that's the uh, uh, thing that we've fallen into uh, it's the military industrial complex has a stranglehold on the Congress of the United States and the, and the federal government. And as long as we allow that to happen, this is the direction we're headed. We're becoming a more militaristic uh, society. Militarism dominates. And when you have militarism, then the militarization of the society to support that is what happens. And that goes from everything to the local law enforcement, to police, to SWAT teams, mm -hmm. to uh, concentration or camps that they uh, set aside out in the desert and hinterlands to put people into. Um, no, this is this is a, a serious uh, a problem. That's the direction that, that we're heading. And when you expand the the military to be the spearhead of the corporate interests of America, uh, that this is what we get. We get our military fighting for corporate interests. Uh, to have a military that was just designed to do the de a legitimate defense of the United States you know, the people of the United States, we could cut our, slash our budget dramatically. We could have so much money left to do the things that would make a prosperous uh, a country and a, a more unified country, a highly educated country, a country that has health care, a country that cares about its people. And certainly a more unified world because we uh, not only would we be saving money, we would stop killing people and in the names of Americans who, like us, may oppose it, but we don't get a say in that. What, what do you think this weekend of events, and even nationally across where it's continuing, uh, especially with Code Pink uh, traveling across the country, um, there have been some very unfavorable polls in regarding drones showing how Americans favor it. And the only time they really disfavor it is when it affects them, you know, going back to the, you know, the, na the nativist nationalist arguments that we only care about it when it happens to American citizens. How do you think that these awareness campaigns will bring about uh, change in those polls? Um, or do you think that maybe the pollsters are just going to stop doing it if they... If they um or, or do you think that they're asking it wrong to encourage those kinds of results? Yeah, well, I don't know exactly what the questions are that they're asking. So a lot of that can be, you know, 
uh, dictated by how the question is asked. But certainly, I think, uh, you know, uh, Veterans for Peace chapter in London was active at uh, General Atomic Headquarters today in London. I just was in communication with Ben Griffin, who runs the chapter. At the, they were there in the snow of London today, uh, protesting against at General Atomic's uh, London headquarters, which is next to the Defense Ministry, by the way. <laughs> so, so that was going on in London. We've had big protests in New York, and you saw, if you saw the, uh, there was a, a clip on YouTube that I listened to and saw today. And in the background is the drone, just like this one, and a Veterans for Peace flag. And so it's, it, you know, we're doing this across across the country. You have to think that it's going to change awareness. But why are people, uh, why do people think uh, the way they do? And I think they're apathetic in some ways about it. I think the other thing is is that they've been told that this is to protect them and it's in their best interest and it's killing terrorists. So if you just look at the headline, drone kills terrorists, they say, oh, I'm, I'm safer today than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. These people, we're killing them over there so that they can't kill us over here or we don't have to fight them over here. That sloganeering has gotten into their brain since George Bush started talking about that in 2001. And, uh, you know, there's been no terrorist attacks in this country basically since 9-11 of any consequence and some have been thwarted and so the people say well you know uh, drones kill terrorists no terrorist attacks it must be working mm -hmm. but they ought to pay attention to what some of the people in the military like retired four-star Major General James Cartwright of the United States Marine Corps who was commonly called quote Obama's general he was very close to Obama and then he left the military he gave a talk uh, last week to the Chicago Foreign Affairs Council, and he said, I'm very concerned about the drone policy. He said, even the notion that we can target people individually, you know, precisely, he says, that doesn't solve the problem because innocent people are being killed. We know that. And it's going to create a problem of blowback. The United States, he said, trust me, is going to pay for this yeah. down the road. And that, so, you know, it's, it's too bad that peoples uh, like that who are experienced, who, you know, General Cartwright is the same person who ran the... Uh, the strategic command, which has responsibility for all of our nuclear weapons. He's the guy who said, uh, along with Global Zero, that said that we can bring nuclear weapons down to a three or four hundred level and be perfectly safe. You know, <laughs> 900 at the max and three or four hundred nukes and, and, we, and will not interfere with the security of the United States at all. Those messages and the, and the wisdom of these people needs to get out to the public and that's what we need to hear. Exactly. And like you said, drone kills terrorists, but we don't hear that the accuracy rate is 2%, right. 98% is civilians, and like you, it, yeah. we haven't had any terrorist attacks of consequence, but we've had attempted ones like the Times Square bomber. His sole motive was because of drone strikes. His sole motive, he said when he was arrested by the police, he said at his sentencing hearing in front of the judge, the reason that I did this is because uh, I'm from Pakistan, and people in Pakistan, innocent people, are being killed by United States drone strikes for no good reason. And this was a another attempt at a warning shot at the United States. And they're going to continue, and someday they're going to be successful. I, I hope that that's not true, but I, you have to be concerned that they might be. And so, you know, um, we're creating our own problems here. What we ought to be is trying to figure out how to be a friend to the world, not to make the world fearful of us. That scenario has been part of the history of the United States, unfortunately, and you can trace it back almost to the origins of this nation. When you look at how many nations we've invaded since the origins of the United States, well over 200. Even countries. the Native Americans. Even the Native Americans are part of that group. And so, you know, we have this notion of, of uh, 
uh, the people talk about American exceptionalism. The part of American exceptionalism that concerns me is the idea that we are entitled to what we can get and what we can conquer and what we can, yeah. uh, you know, makes people subjected to us. By force. By force. Yeah. That's, that's the American exceptionalism that most of the world understands. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on, on the subject, and where can people find Veterans for Peace online? Uh, you know, Veterans for Peace, uh, San Diego chapter, go to SDVFP, that's San Diego Veterans for Peace, but it's SDVFP.org. Our national uh, website is VeteransforPeace.org, and you can find information about what we're doing, activities in the area. If you're a veteran, you're interested in what uh, what we do in Veterans for Peace, join us. If you're not a veteran, but you're, you want to be long to Veterans for Peace, you can still join us as an associate member. We welcome about 20% of our membership of associate members. So we welcome everybody. Everybody has a chance to serve their country and the cause of peace in Veterans for Peace. Awesome. Well, Barry, thank you very much for joining the program again. And that was Barry Ladendorf, San Diego Veterans for Peace. For those that missed any part of the episode, I no longer post the podcast onto mediafire.com slash freethoughtradio. Reach my max. But go to iTunes, search for Freethought, and look for Freethought AAC. Uh, Go to freethoughtmedia.org, and you could also subscribe find the youtube link there uh podcasts also air on lrn.fm the liberty radio network throughout the week during their weekly podcast loop um up next is is a song uh by peter tosh called no nuclear war um and i'm gonna get into korea because you know i do realize that he is just again you know they're trying to leverage us with these big threats for aid and stuff but what if he was serious i mean Either way, our troops are over there. They're either going to, they're causing agitation. You know, we never left the Korean War. The Korean War never ended. There was just a ceasefire. So by keeping our troops over there, we're either making ourselves sitting ducks for these types of games, you know, to leverage us for f- money and aid or whatever, or they're going to agitate them towards an actual, you know, retaliation. So both of those scenarios maybe be, you know, the retaliation thing is a bit more far fetched. Um, but still. We should just bring our troops home, and uh, it's th- and they wouldn't be able to do either of those things. So this is No Nuclear War by Peter Tosh, and we'll be right back after this with some commercials and news. KKSM, The Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, The Liberty Radio Network.
We're like the Goonies, but with ADD. The Radio Revolution. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Every day you make investment decisions. When you do business with and hold U.S. dollars, you make an investment in the soundness of the moral philosophy and the potential longevity of the United States hegemony. People who claim a monopoly on violence around the world. If this is the investment that you want to make, please keep listening to LRN.FM. If not, stop using their currency. Use bitcoins. Get educated. We use coins.com. Yo, give me something to dance to. KKSN, Oceanside, AM 1320, The Radio Revolution. Welcome back, everybody, to Free Thought Radio here on KKSM. It is 6.55. I am joined by KKSM News correspondent Toby Macy with your KKSM News. Good evening. It's 6.55, and I'm Toby Macy with this KKSM News Brief. In an effort to quickly get the Springer Light Rail train system back up and running, a test on Sunday on one of the train's new brakes had a test and was successful. The train ran from Escondido to San Marcos and reached speeds up to 50 miles per hour. More test runs are expected through Thursday between the Escondido Transit Center and Woodland Parkway in San Marcos. During the runs, crews will place up to 46,000 pounds of sandbags in the trains to simulate the weight of day-to-day passengers. The tests are expected to last up to 24 days. A fuel tanker overturned at the end of a ramp leading into Qualcomm Stadium in Mission Valley on Sunday night. There were two breaks in the tank, which caused a leak of a flammable liquid. Of the 8,000 gallons of liquid being carried in the tanks, around 6,000 gallons leaked out. Work crews have pumped about 2,500 gallons from the ground and surrounding storm drains. About 3,300 gallons is currently unaccounted for. Several roads have been reopened this morning after crews worked to clean up the liquid. The drivers suffered moderate injuries. A bill that would require panic alarms to be installed inside California public schools across the state got preliminary approval on Wednesday. The bill, AB 1076, would require high-volume areas like classrooms, theaters, and gyms to be equipped with panic alarms that would be linked to local law enforcement. Costs are expected to range from $1,000 to $5,000 per school, with an estimate range of $10 to $50 million for the entire state. The assembly bill is currently making its way through various committees. The bodies of two young cousins have been recovered after they were trapped by a wall of dirt while playing in an excavated basement pit at a home construction site in North Carolina. The bodies of the six-year-old girl and seven-year-old boy were pulled out early this morning. The incident occurred around 5 p.m. Sunday after the boy's father called 911. When emergency crews arrived minutes later, the dirt wall was too thick to get to the children trapped in the 24-foot deep pit. Lincoln County Sheriff David Carpenter told local newspapers that there were several thousand pounds of dirt on top of them. North Korea said that they will recall 51,000 North Korean workers and suspend operations at a factory that they have been running in conjunction with South Korea, separating one of these countries' last economic links as tensions escalate in the region. The factory combines cheap North Korean labor with the technological understandings of the South Koreans and is the last remaining inter-Korean cooperation project. 
North Korea closed the border to northbound South Korean managers and supplies. More than 120 South Korean companies at Kaesong have shut down because they are no longer getting the supplies they need. There's currently a high wind warning in effect until 9 p.m. tonight. It's currently 59 degrees in San Marcos. Broadcasting live, I'm Toby Macy, KKSN News. Thank you, Toby. And traffic, uh, there is a 34-mile-per-hour slowdown at 805 northbound at La Jolla Village Drive in Miramar Road. And my guests for tonight were Medea Benjamin of Code Pink, Women for Peace, and Barry Ladendorf of San Diego Veterans for Peace, both done live at the Drone Diego events happening last weekend um, all throughout San Diego, protesting General Atomics and Northrop Grumman and uh, manufacturing death machines uh, for our, our undeclared wars overseas and for surveillance here at home. Uh, if you missed any part of the episode, if you would like to hear the interviews with Medea from Code Pink or Barry from Veterans for Peace, please subscribe on iTunes, search for Free Thought, and look for Free Thought AAC. And uh, my guest for this hour is Jason Ditz. He's the news editor of Antiwar.com. And Antiwar.com is one of my favorite news sites for just foreign policy news and uh, opinions and and uh, other uh, content, um, and they kind of you know were very um, um, influential in keeping me informed on foreign policy um, in like the 2010 uh, or it, when I first you know kind of discovered libertarianism in around 2009 through Ron Paul, you know keeping me informed on the issues and being actually being able to see that president obama's continuing every policy of george w bush if not doubling down upon them uh severely which is very 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 unfortunate uh, and and really opened my eyes to the two party system and really what our elections and our system are really all about um and very disillusioned as you know as and you can't being even more disillusioned as a libertarian when you already don't really believe in the system or legitimize the state. Gosh. <laughs> Check out antiwar.com and um, the uh, news that comes out of there. Joining me now is Jason Ditz. He's the news editor of antiwar.com. Uh, Jason, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem. So um, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved with antiwar.com as the news editor. Well, it, it's been almost 10 years now. I, uh, I joined up in uh, 2004 uh, when the Iraq war was starting to pick up. They needed some extra help, and Jeremy Sapienza was a friend of mine, and he was working there at the time, so th uh, he recommended me, and I got the job. Awesome. And, and speaking about the Iraq war, um, the uh, new cables have just been released that both the CIA and MI6 knew about uh, that uh, Saddam did not have any weapons of mass destruction and had no involvement with 9-11 before the Iraq invasion. What do you make of that coming out on the anniversary of the uh, Iraq invasion? Well, especially the 9-11 thing, I don't know how they could have ever thought he did have anything to do with it. There was certainly never any indication that he was particularly close with al-Qaeda. It seems like they were a thorn in his side as much as anyone's. Uh, the weapons of mass destruction, uh, it seems like there was always sort of an emphasis among the politicians in the Bush administration to make the evidence sound a lot more credible than it was. And 
when the evidence wasn't there, it, it didn't seem to matter to a lot of them. But I, I think uh, we probably should have known that the CIA believed they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess we always sort of wondered before finding this out: Are they really just that incompetent, or are they being deceitful? And and it looks like it was the latter. Yeah, definitely. And and um, what what do you make of the of the the death toll and, uh, uh, of not just both our uh, people that have died for something that was a lie, but um, that that the civilians that have got gotten also killed in, in the process? Well, it, it's horrifying, and and the scariest part is we don't really know how many it is, and we probably will never know how many it is. Uh, we see estimates in the hundreds of thousands. We see estimates in in the couple of millions. Uh, neither would surprise me, and uh, really the deaths are still coming because the country is in such a mess even after the U.S. troops have left mm-hmm. that people are still dying from just the damage done during the war. Exactly, and, and um, um, uh, Bradley Manning recently testified before, and the audio was leaked, and one of his uh, uh, when they, when the collateral murder videos that were released um, shows that um, there were children in that van, and the, the consensus was, well, they shouldn't have brought uh, children into the battlefield when they were clearly right. employee, employees for Reuters, like a, just a journalistic entity. You know, their, their biggest crime would be, you know, typing on a computer. Well, there's nothing... What, what do you make of that whole situation? Well, it, it's, uh, it sort of speaks to the ugliness of the whole conflict. Uh, the administration tries to... Uh, well, the Bush administration and now the Obama administration have both tried to put a very uh, friendly face on this whole war, saying, well, maybe the evidence for going in there wasn't true, but all's well that ends well. And yeah. so many horrible things happened during the course of that war. Uh, women and children being killed, innocent civilians, of course, being killed in the hundreds of thousands, that it's it's hard to imagine that people are still trying to defend it. Exactly. And... Um um, do you th- who's more responsible for ending the Iraq war, President Obama or Bradley Manning? <laughs> well, I'd certainly like to think it was Bradley Manning, but in a way I sort of wonder how much of an impact his, uh, his evidence had on, uh, at least domestically, on opposition to the Iraq war, because it seems like Bradley Manning, uh, in the end, deserved a lot better than he got from the American public. Uh, oh, yeah. Cable news spent a lot of time talking about his sex life and the various mental illnesses that might have caused him to leak classified information, but really never, uh, never gave him a fair shake for why he actually did it. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually at a, a, a free Bradley Manning uh, protest, and one of the speakers there said that Bradley Manning is a far more important queer person than Lady Gaga or Anderson Cooper could ever be combined uh, and you know, bringing about his sex life is just is just so such a distraction. I mean, who cares, honestly? Well, exactly, and uh, and trying to make it out that uh, the only reason somebody faced with all this evidence of war crimes could possibly want it to be leaked publicly is because he's got something seriously wrong with him that mm-hmm. stems from uh, sexual frustration or whatever it, it's just appalling mm-hmm. i would think most decent people faced with this sort of evidence would probably at least want to do the same thing he did although facing 
the ramifications of it, uh, many might be too scared to actually do so. Exactly. It's not, uh, the, the, they probably covering, uh, they're probably just trying to talk crap on his, uh, sexuality to divert from the real reason why he did it, which is called the thing called uh, conscience. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> um, for those just joining, I'm speaking with Jason Ditz. He's the news editor of antiwar.com. Um, so just like, uh, you know, to, to, just to show the similarity between the two parties on, on war, um, uh, just like uh, George W. Bush cried wolf over weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, Hillary and even now Kerry are crying wolf over Syria and then before that Libya and now Iran. Um, what, what's really the difference? Well, uh, that's the thing. Uh, we all talk uh, about the lessons learned from Iraq, but I think uh, the lessons learned from politicians is that it's remarkably easy to con the American public into starting wars and there's very little... Uh, very little personal ramifications for doing so. The Bush administration lied their way into the Iraq war. It was just this horrible war crime, and they all got off scot-free. So there's sort of a sense, I think, in the Obama administration, and maybe correctly so, that they could start a Syria war and Iran war whenever they want to and, and not really face any consequences from it. And even to just to mask it, like to pretend to be liberal leaning, supposedly to they they're using you know the Free Syrian Army as a proxy really to fight their battles, like they're fighting the Hezbollah, uh, um, which the U.S. obviously declares as a terrorist group. So uh, you know to get them to go after them without actually sending our own troops. What do you, what do you make of that? They're just doing all this covertly, like especially in Libya, where they can literally say in their rhetoric that we're not technically at war because our troops are not, are not on the ground. Never mind that we're dropping bombs from, from sea and, and air, but not, we're not doing it from land. What do you make of that? Well, it, it certainly seems like a different definition of war than uh, the United Nations would have. And uh, it was really remarkable uh, that the Obama administration sort of announced the deployment to Libya to Congress they were supposed to get an approval within a few weeks and said, well, we're not going to bother to get the approval because the war will be over in a few weeks. And then when it wasn't, uh, they said, we're still not going to get an approval because it's not technically a war. <laughs> so they, they seem to believe that they can get away with about anything. And so far, there's not much evidence that they can't. Exactly. And, and um, uh, what, do you, what do you make of... Uh uh, President Obama's uh, visit to Israel, where he has uh, uh, pledged uh, U.S. support for Iran. Um, what's the what's the outlook for the future, as opposed to um, what might happen uh, with uh, uh, a possible war with Iran? Well, there's a lot of question about how much he means a lot of the things that he says, especially when it relates to Israel. Uh, a top politician visiting Israel pretty much has to give some lip service to the idea of attacking Iran or else they're going to be booed out of, out of the country. And uh, hopefully he's not serious in starting a war with Iran, but he's certainly been threatening them long enough that it could, it could happen. What do you make of the economic sanctions that are, that are um, sort of like a, a precursor, if not like already economic warfare? Well, it's definitely economic warfare. Uh, and the U.S. reaction has been bizarre with respect to the sanctions. They add new ones virtually every other week. Uh, the Treasury Department comes up with a new announcement of sanctions 
sometimes they're already sanctions that were in place in the first place, and they're just uh, making them sanctions in a different way too. But they sanction so many things that it's virtually impossible to trade with Iran. It's virtually impossible to send humanitarian aid, even though there are official waivers for humanitarian aid to Iran. It's There's no way you can send it. And uh, most people have given up on even trying. Wow. Um, for those just joining, I'm speaking with Jason Ditz. He's the editor of, or news editor of antiwar.com. Um, what, what do you make uh, uh, during the sequester that uh, veterans' benefits get cut, uh, but the big elephant in the room, which is the empire, and certainly foreign aid like uh, Obama went to go visit Gaza, but yes, is giving uh, uh, foreign aid to Israel, and then also to Arabic despots like Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, which commit various human rights abuses. What do you make of just the irrationality of the fact that we're not letting go of foreign aid? Well, foreign aid is definitely going to be one of the last things to go for the typical reason of a lot of the way government does spending cuts that people aren't going to notice it. Mm -hmm. If the U.S. actually did cut out billions of dollars that it sends to Israel and Egypt and all these other nations, the average American is not going to feel that. They want to make the sanctions things that real people, voters, actually feel, so they get outraged and are supportive of tax increases or cuts on cuts on non-military spending. Definitely, and and um, uh, like you said, like it's not going to have it's going to have an immaterial effect on taxpayers, and maybe even a positive one. Do you think that uh, taxpayers should be liable to pay for human rights abuses committed by Bahrain in in regards to the you know the tear gas? U.S. tear gas canisters being used on their civilians or the Israeli blockade on West Bank and Gaza? Well, they definitely shouldn't be, but I, I don't think uh, once they take the tax dollars from you, I don't think they really care uh, how much you like how they spend it. It yeah. seems like uh, the administrations for the past several decades feel that especially foreign aid can more or less be spent however they want, and there's not going to be a lot of public interest in it. Mm-hmm. And um, um, what's what do you what do you make of of um, the uh, I, I I there was a, speaking about the Iraq War there was another cable that um, um, that uh, um, Saudi Arabia was kind of lobbying for an invasion of Iraq uh, from the Bush administration. I I don't think that's surprising. Saudi Arabia was uh, presenting Saddam Hussein as a threat going back into the uh, first Gulf War and the invasion of Kuwait. Kuwait was, of course, a member of the GCC that Saudi Arabia is basically the only large nation in and the de facto leader of. So uh, I think for a long time they saw him as someone to get out of the way. They're probably not too happy with the results, seeing as it brought a Shiite religious uh, party into power in Iraq, which seems like it would have been inevitable anyway, but apparently they figured somebody else could be propped up that would be closer to their interests. Definitely. And um, I, I, through antiwar.com especially, I've learned a lot about um, the way Mossad works, the Israeli equivalent of the CIA, and it kind of brings me to the, you know, the hypocrisy of, of declaring uh, Iran as an existential threat when they, there, there have been stories that they actually uh, went to some uh, uh, posing as U.S. CIA agent going to some extreme fringe terrorist groups who are against the Ira- uh, Iranian government and um, uh, ca- uh, may have gotten them to uh, commit that uh, 
uh, bombing of, of the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard. What, what's the kind of and our, and our foreign aid is kind kind of going to pay their salaries even. Um, what do you make of just that kind of hypocrisy and, and just meddling causing you know blowback? Well, the interesting thing is, of course, that's been very well documented uh, that Mossad ended up going and giving this money to Jandala, which is uh, a Balochistan separatist movement. They were originally attacking Pakistan and were in league with Al-Qaeda. After they sort of broke off with Al-Qaeda because they wanted to focus on local affairs and Al-Qaeda wanted to be a global entity, Jandala sort of was shrinking and along comes Mossad in in the guise of the CIA uh, backed with American cash convincing them to uh, start launching attacks against Iran. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, question from our Facebook page. Uh, James wants to know um, is uh, why um, is there is there a point to using uh, sources from Israeli news sources uh, given that there is a bias towards the military? Um, uh, what what uh, is uh, what is there to uh, to uh, take from their uh, news sources? Well, it's sort of difficult when you work with uh, news sources around the world. Israel, in particular, I think a lot of issues related to Israel, especially the Palestinian issues, are covered much better and more objectively in the Israeli press than they would ever be covered in American newspapers. Uh, in the American newspapers, there's no question that Israel must always be portrayed as the good guy, uh, where uh, especially the more leftist papers in Israel can say, well, wait a minute, we've, we're sort of bringing this problem on ourselves, or this is a bad policy. And, and there's nothing like that uh, anywhere else in the world uh, with respect to Israel. M most countries are set either in anything Israel does must automatically be bad or anything Israel does must automatically be good. And I think a lot of Israeli sources are willing to question both sides of that argument. And it's nothing you'd see in the U.S. And in many cases, you wouldn't see it in Europe either. Exactly. And... and uh, uh, from a non-interventionist standpoint, like the U.S. should not be having a role in that in that region to begin with, and, and certainly when uh, when uh, we get involved in peace deals with Egypt, it always falls apart. Uh, what do you make of the recent poll that that uh, only nine percent of the people support uh, uh, Palestinians? Do you think that has to do with this kind of that it's not even a word that's brought up in the in the news in the U.S. at least? Well, right. Uh, what when would you ever hear about Palestinians on uh, American uh, cable news? Uh, you might hear about them if there's a rocket attack coming out of the Gaza Strip, but even then, it's it's going to be very short uh, that these people are just sort of firing rockets out of out of nowhere for no apparent reason. There's not going to be any real analysis of what's happening, and. People, especially the people that are getting their news from these channels, seem to have very short attention spans, so they don't really put two and two together for why a lot of this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and it's and it's really is uh, it's it's uh, uh, kind of uh, I think I was interviewing John Glazer, your colleague at Anti-War, about this term called collective punishment that people who are uninvolved with uh, the militant uh, aspects uh, are being punished. Uh, um, uh, um, with these blockades, uh, I brought up uh, the quote from Frederick Bastiat with John uh, that 
it, when goods do not cross borders, soldiers will, and the blockade is really just kind of punishing people with lack of food and water and, and essential things uh, to survive. Um, and, and taxes are, 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 of course, going to uh, the foreign aid that pays for most of this. Well, ab absolutely. And the blockade in the Gaza Strip has been a disaster from everyone's perspective, uh, mostly the Gazans. But it created this sort of smuggling economy where everything has to be brought in by tunnels to Egypt. And then naturally the concern is, well, are weapons and other things being brought in? Well, well of course they are. But water is being brought in. Food is being brought in. Uh, for almost a decade, you couldn't legally import chocolate into the Gaza Strip as part of the Israeli blockade. There, there were rules saying, oh, you can, you can send rice to the Gaza Strip, but you can't send noodles. There, there were so many arbitrary rules that uh, virtually their entire economy ended up being based around smuggling from Egypt. Wow. Um Switching to this topic of drones, uh, one of the new news stories was that it's not going to be the CIA that does it anymore. It's going to be the Department of, of Defense. Um, is that really just a big PR stunt? Is there going to be any difference? Uh, if it actually happens, it could actually be a positive step because the military actually does have some uh, oversight when it kills people. There are actually our rules of engagement that the CIA seems to operate in, in such complete secrecy that when they kill people, they very rarely even admit it unless it's one of those rare occasions when they kill somebody they've actually heard of and that they think they might get some decent publicity out of. So I, I think handing it over to the military, so long as it comes with treating the drones as weapons of war, which is what they are, could be a positive sign. Definitely. And... and um uh, how does that relate to the Pentagon, whose who, uh, budget we cannot know and, and, we, and we can't audit? Um, um, uh, do, do you think there's, there's still going to be a layer of secrecy in regards to drones, uh, in regards to how the Pentagon operates? Oh, I'm sure there will be. And uh, probably the ideal, is, for the administration anyway, is to uh, keep things running more or less as they are because – there are questions asked and they're never answered and there's very little consequence for not answering them. But I think when it's in the military and you have military drones attacking a country like Yemen or Somalia, it, it seems like it's, it's going to be easier for Congress to ask specific questions and get specific answers about what's being attacked and why than having them ask the CIA and simply get a no comment answer. Yeah, definitely. Um, for those just joining, I've been speaking with Jason Ditz. He's the editor or news editor of antiwar.com. Do you have any final words or final news stories that we haven't touched up upon? And um, uh, really anything else to take the floor for a final word? Uh, well, the, the big news today uh, is, is the ceasefire in Turkey. The Kurdistan Workers' Party, which has been at war with Turkey for nearly 30 years now, their uh, leader, who's in a Turkish prison... Uh, has announced a ceasefire, and it seems like the PKK fighters on the ground are going to respect it, and many are already withdrawing into Iraq. So it, it looks like there's a good chance that this 28- or 29-year war might finally be over, and there might finally be some peace talks to settle some very long-standing disputes in, along Turkey's southeast. 
Definitely, that's that's very you know interesting, and it just goes to uh, show um, the the extent of foreign policy. And for those that are interested in keeping up with the latest in foreign policy news, uh, visit antiwar.com. It's one of the uh, I read it very often, and uh, I've been speaking with Jason Ditz, the news editor of antiwar.com. Jason, thank you very much for stopping by the program. Sure, thank you for having me. If you missed any part of the episode, you can download the podcast on iTunes. Search for Freethought and look for Freethought AAC. The website is freethoughtmedia.org. Up next is a song by Tatiana Moroz. It's called Masters of War. Here on KKSM, the Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. Come you masters of war. You that build all the gods. You that build the death plan. Build all the bombs You that had behind walls You that had behind desks I just want you to know I can see through your mask You that never done nothing But built to destroy You play with my words your little toy You put a gun in his hand And you hide from his eyes And you turn and run farther When the fast bullets fly Like Judas of old You lie in deceit A world war can be Let me ask you one 
sunshine Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could? And I think you will find When your death takes its toll How the money you made Will never buy back your soul I hope that you die And your death will come soon I will follow your casket On a pale afternoon And I'll watch while you're lowered Down into your deathbed And I'll stand over your grave Till I'm sure KKSM. We must be flipping out. AM 1320. The Radio Revolution. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Are you tired of governments murdering people around the world? Stop using their money. There is an alternative. Bitcoin is a stateless, free market, non-political currency. Bitcoin cannot be inflated or controlled by any government. By using their money, you are helping the state. Stop doing it. You have an incredible alternative available now. Learn it, use it, spread it. Get started with Bitcoin at WeUseCoins.com. That's WeUseCoins.com. KKSM. It's outrageous, Phil. AM 1320. The Radio Revolution. Welcome to Free Thought Radio here on KKSM AM 1320 in North County, San Diego. Cox Cable Channel 957 in all of San Diego and uh, streaming live at freethoughtmedia.org slash live. Be sure to check out palomarcollegeradio.com and facebook.com slash kksmradio, facebook.com slash freethoughtradio. Podcasts of this show also air on lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network, the greatest source for liberty-oriented talk shows and news shows. And you can check that out, lrn.fm, listen.lrn.fm, or facebook.lrn.fm. It's 7.30, time for the news. North Korea threatens nuclear strikes. North Korea proved the ability to use their nuclear option against the U.S. and South Korea if the order is given. The U.S. and South Korea have been engaging in military exercises for some time now, and North Korea has done the same in response to it. North Korea has ordered foreign embassies to evacuate their personnel from the country. Missile defense systems have been deployed. There is a lot of evidence to see that this is another attempt by North Korea to leverage threats to get aid due to their dismal societal situation. But at the same time, our troops have not left Korea since the 50s as the war has never really ended. Two things come to mind. One... Should our troops be over there to be used as an excuse for North Korea to get leverage 
by threatening our troops in our country. Or two, let's say they are serious about the nuclear attack. Should we have our troops over there to agitate a country like North Korea? I think it would be more than wise to withdraw our troops. We will have to eventually when the U.S. goes bankrupt. So why not do it smoothly now rather than abruptly when we are broke? In state news, San Francisco, California, Senator Dianne Feinstein spoke to an audience of 500 about the need to censor video games. She says, Video game companies should take voluntary steps to make sure it does not glorify guns in the wake of the mass shootings. However, she backed it up by saying Congress may be forced to take action. To me, this smacks of exactly, exactly the same rhetoric used in the 1980s with the PMRC and quote-unquote porn rock. The PMRC asked for voluntary concessions from music companies, but still tried people in front of the Senate and threatened actual legislation. Thanks to Frank Zappa, it failed. And <laughs> Frank Zappa was the reason it failed in Maryland, too. This is nothing but pure extortion of the video game industry by Senator Feinstein. Never mind that the Pentagon has to approve every military-related video game, certainly creating a sense of nationalistic propaganda in video games like Call of Duty, which glorify government-sanctioned violence in Middle Eastern countries, including the glorification of drones. Hell, we don't even need video games. The government glorifies their real-life killing using drones in large military uh, invasion wars. You know, we have a total sense of nationalism in this country. Isn't that what's kind of making us more violent and brute? Not fictional video games. In national news, the U.S. sends missile defenses to Guam to defend against possible North Korean missile launches. A judge rules routine traffic stops are not sufficient justification for x-rays. <laughs> a motorist cannot have his car taken to a border station to be x-rayed based on a window tint violation, a federal judge ruled on Friday. U.S. District Judge Richard J. Akara allowed a lawsuit to proceed against the Niagara County, New York Sheriff's Department in the wake of an April 28, 2009 traffic stop where motorists who had done nothing wrong were detained by police for more than three hours. And, of course, that person who the trial is related to had their car x-rayed. And I talked the other week about a judge ruling that because you follow, like, let's say you stop at a stop sign. The cop can say, well, you're following the law. Aren't you, are you suspicious? Are you trying to not hide something? <laughs> that dangerous precedent was overturned by a judge, thankfully. Unfortunately, though, the Aaron Swartz law was thwarted. A key U.S. House of Representatives committee finally was rewriting the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. But instead of fixing the law's vagueness problems or reducing its penalties, the draft legislation backed by the Justice Department would make it even more draconian, so it was made worse. Aaron Swartz, you know, I didn't know much about him until he actually passed away, unfortunately, but he has since become one of my heroes. 
and it deeply troubles me when these kinds of things go on after he has died. You know, that should put us, you know, if that doesn't pull at your heartstrings, you know, you could tell how black-hearted these politicians really are. A U.S. general states that the Taliban is a long-term threat after 2014. More proof to back up President Obama and Karzai's plans to keep U.S. troops in Afghanistan past 2014 and even with 2024 as a new time frame. And I can guarantee you if nothing changes here, if the two parties continue to get elected into office, it will be past 2024. Unless, of course, we go bankrupt by then. Or have uh, World Bank kind of come back in and back up our credit and dissolve the Constitution entirely. Silence from the Department of Justice over uh, their silent went over the, over the concerns of the NYPD spying on Muslims. Attorney General Eric Holder promised members of Congress that the Department of Justice was actively looking at the New York Police Department spying on American Muslims. Now, more than a year later, advocates and two top Democrats are still wondering what happened to Holder's promises. Me too. And, you know, they're probably doing it under the banner of the Department of Homeland Security, just like all the medical marijuana raids occur because people that are paid by the state government or the city of San Diego, not by the federal, they can just get cross-deputized, redeputized one day to say, raise your right hand, you're now a federal agent, now go and take the marijuana away from that patient. Same thing with Homeland Security. These guys can act like federal agents and go on, go and spy on uh, Muslims without warrants using the provisions in the Patriot Act and the NDAA that are granted with Homeland Security's authority. Which I think is moot. They don't have any real authority. Come on. The IRS to spy on social media for tax purposes. The agency will gather personal data from social media sites to try and catch people trying to beat the system. The IRS really are boogeymen. And Anonymous targets Israel and North Korea. The hacking collective has begun targeting North Korea's social media sites, vandalizing them. North Korea's Tumblr page was hacked to have Kim Jong-un depicted as a pig. Anonymous has also been hacking Israeli government websites, causing billions of dollars in damage over their outrage of the Israeli government ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. And when it comes to you know the Aaron Swartz Law and other so-called cybersecurity bills, I think those are more poised to direct at anonymous rather than al-Qaeda or, or North Korea's or China's hacking attempts because they want to si silence political dissidents. And in my view, I think Anonymous is more close to Ben Franklin than they are to Osama bin Laden. In international news, UN Human Rights Councils targets the U.S. The list of issues they uh, bring up include drone strikes and Guantanamo Bay detentions. In other news, Roger Ebert and Margaret Thatcher pass away, and this weekend is the Death to All tour in memory of the late Chuck Schuldiner, lead guitarist of the band Death and Control Denied. This weekend is in uh, Hollywood, California, Saturday, April 13th. The weather outside in San Marcos, where KKSM broadcasts out of, is 59 degrees. There is... Uh, problem area in regarding traffic at the 5 northbound at East Street and Bonita Road.
broadcasting live from KKSM for KKSM and LRN.FM. My name is Alex Fiddle, host of Free Thought Radio. Now, speaking of the Death to All tour, I want to play two songs since Chuck Schuldiner is obviously like one of my favorite people ever. One of my role models, certainly a very down-to-earth, humble, friendly, and mellow person, even though he wrote such extreme music. He he definitely was, is certainly a role model, and um, people should look him up. Try to attend the Death to All concert this Saturday in Hollywood or around the country. Search it up, and uh, all of the proceeds from the concert go towards... Musicians Without Health Care, a charity called Sweet Relief. So this first song is Voice of the Soul by Death. It's sort of a solo piece by Chuck Schuldiner on the last Death album, The Sound of Perseverance. And then after that is Vacant Planets by Death from the album Human, since the lineup for the Death to All tour is basically the human lineup. Steve DiGiorgio on bass, Paul Masvidal on guitar, and Sean Reiner on drums with the cynic new guy, I think his name's Max. He's going to be doing all the Chuck parts. Um, so I'm very, very, very much looking forward to the show coming up this weekend. Um, and uh, I can't, I, I'll be reporting on it next week. And by the way, my guest on next week's show is Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico, the guy I voted for for president of the United States. Um, also, uh, Carrie Boiter of Free Chris, Chris Williams. And, you know, because of Obama, this guy, Chris Williams, his partner, Richard Floor, died in jail. They were medical cannabis providers, tried under federal court, and thrown into federal prison where Williams' partner, Richard Floor, died due to neglect. Also, Adam Masonberg, sheriff candidate in Whitman County, Washington, he's running against the sheriff that raided his medical cannabis caregiving service. So it should be a very action-packed show next week. But... Right now is Voice of the Soul by Death. Then after that, Vacant Planets by Death. Check out the Death to All show this weekend and around the country here on KKSM, the Radio Revolution, and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. Be right back.
Vacant Planets by Death, and before that, Voice of the Soul by Death. Rest in peace, Chuck Schuldiner, most definitely. And be sure to check out the Death to All show coming into L.A. this weekend, Saturday, April 13th, at the House of Blues. Check it out if it's coming to your town elsewhere during the whole tour. And it's part one. You know, there's going to be another one coming up the rest uh, this year with a different lineup. Uh, this lineup is um, going to be covering the f- up to the Human album. And then the the second one will cover the rest, and hopefully even control the night. I can't wait for the, they're gonna they're working on the control the night album this year. That's freaking amazing, and leprosy is gonna be reissued, and it's just so many awesome things are in store for you know keeping Chuck's legacy alive and releasing what you know he died for, which is the second control the night album. So in the news. Bill Maher recently came out and said that something about like the something about libertarians and you know he's disgusted with the way it's gone. Um, he said that the libertarian movement used to be about personal freedom and da 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 da. Now they have this creepy obsession with free markets and Ayn Rand. Well, I'm not sure if he was ever a libertarian to begin with, um, given that there is another half. But I wouldn't say, you know, it goes to the, you know, the whole Iran selfishness thing, even though that it's very um, kind of demonized, um, you know, that you can't be selfish. I just, you know, Ayn Rand as a person was definitely <laughs> said a lot of very inflammatory things that definitely, you know, she made a character out of caricature out of herself and, you know, had bouts of, you know, fights with. Murray Rothbard, who helped form the Libertarian Party, um, you know, she had problems with libertarians. So, Bill Maher citing Ayn Rand as a, you know the the purveyor of all libertarian thought. I think it's very irresponsible of him to say so, especially since he's you know tying the word libertarian and libertarian to Paul Ryan and like Glenn Beck and these Republicans, these you know guys who get really nice salaries working in Congress, and the only reason they're in Congress is thanks to a bunch of large corporate donations so it's a very you know kind of a a misunderstanding of libertarianism by bill maher unfortunately when he should really be on on board with the people that on the progressive left that do get what libertarians believe and that you know we're against the banking system and and all this kinds of fraud by the the state and state capitalism and fascism and all that kind of stuff that Basically, at the end of the day, we just believe you should keep what you earn because it's your body, your property, you know, and private property rights, not anything that, you know, has been misconstrued and misused by Republicans or neoconservatives or anything like that. Um, It's unfortunate. But, but, you know, a lot of people on the progressive left that are in alternative media like RT or other sources go... Openly say, you know, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, Bill Maher—they're all shills for kind of corporate entertainment. That they, you know, they're great comedians. Don't get me wrong, but they kind of don't really touch the important stuff, and then go on and run the mouth about things without knowing what they're talking about, which is unfortunate. Um, so, I, you know, I know I love John Stewart and Colbert, and I don't really know when to watch Bill Maher's show, but. We do have to take their their stuff with a grain of salt and look elsewhere for real news. And it's unfortunate that he's 
kind of taking the term libertarianism and kind of educate or miseducating his viewers on a false definition of it, you know, putting Paul Ryan and attaching the word libertarian to it or Republican or, you know, this uh, conservative notions or, or Ayn Rand, who had a lot of trite things to say about libertarianism and Austrian econ economists and that gets kind of taken and, and then people pass it on to their friend and their friend and that's just misinformation and it's unfortunate that whenever I bring up that I'm a libertarian, it's kind of, you know, people look at it weird. Then I have to, you know, go on for paragraphs and paragraphs and long-winded rants about, well, you know, these are A, B, and C, and D, and E, and F misconceptions about libertarianism, and this is what the, we actually believe. Um, so hopefully through this radio show, competing against Mark Levin every Monday night, 6 p.m. in San Diego, that I get to take it back from the neocons that have been abusing the term. But speaking of those who don't abuse the term, John Chaffer of Iced Earth, very great metal band, he started a kind of one-man solo project called Sons of Liberty. And he definitely, you know, talks about corporate and state merger and really corporates the arm of the state. State grants your corporation, no, state grants the corporation from the get-go to exist as a legal individual in a flawed, you know, justice system where these supposed legal individuals have more rights than you do as a tangible human individual. So a corp corporation is an arm of the state, and if we get rid of statism, you get rid of corporatism. And that argument is not being made by Paul Ryan or any of these phonies. Um, but John Schaffer wrote a great song about the Federal Reserve and Jekyll Island, but this one kind of relates to drones and I heard that this term before before I even knew the song regarding to, you know, the kind of Orwellian police state and warfare state. It's called Full Spectrum Dominance. This is this is Full Spectrum Dominance by Sons of Liberty. We'll be back with Starchild and L.K. Samuels after this. KKSM, the radio revolution, and LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. Okay. 
KKSM Oceanside. You took the mystery burger. You are in full possession of the burger. AM 1320. You will have to sign for it. Sure, man, I'll sign. Where's the pencil? I don't wish to alarm you, my son, but the signature will have to be in blood. A radio revolution. Are you tired of governments murdering people around the world? Stop using their money. There is an alternative. Bitcoin is a stateless, free market, non-political currency. Bitcoin cannot be inflated or controlled by any government. By using their money, you are helping the state. Stop doing it. You have an incredible alternative available now. Learn it, use it, spread it. Get started with Bitcoin at WeUseCoins.com. That's WeUseCoins.com. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Welcome back to Free Thought Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fiddle. Every Monday, live 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on KKSM AM 1320, which is North County, San Diego, and then some. You know, goes east to the I-15. I've gotten as far as Dana Point in the north and uh, Pacific Beach in the south. Um, and Cox Cable Channel 957 uh, for all of San Diego, where you can get Cox Cable. And freethoughtmedia.org is where it streams at, or palomarcollegeradio.com or the Ustream channel. And podcast air on LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network, your best source for Liberty-related talk shows produced by Free Staters in New Hampshire. I headed up to the Libertarian Party of California convention this weekend. I know there, there is a, uh, you know, definitely division on whether it makes sense to even be involved in the political rap, but I'm not going to go down that road, I think you need to explore every avenue, include living free in your own life, in your own mind, not legitimizing the state in your mind or following their orders. But at the same time, you know, it would have been nice if, if Ron Paul or, or Gary Johnson or, or even, you know, Jill Stein, Rocky Anderson, Roseanne Barr, that they would have actually come in and ceased these killings overseas with drones because that's what's continuing. President Obama, as commander-in-chief, could order a stop to these killings by presidential decree. And my guest for next week, Gary Johnson, the libertarian presidential candidate that I voted for in 2012, said that if he would have gotten in in January 24th, 21st, order a cease of those killings immediately. So it is that easy. But unfortunately, that's not the way government works. Government is force and it is fraud. When at the minimum, with a libertarian viewpoint, or I mean actually at a maximum, sorry, at a maximum, government should only be engaged in uh, stopping other people from initiating force on other people. But then again, we could still do that even in areas without governments. And we could severely reduce what they do and take that upon, take that upon ourselves and do them voluntarily rather than taking money by force and then imposing a program which can be uh, forceful like the Department of Homeland Security or war. But aside from whether or not it is prudent to be involved in 
in voting or or uh, and I love that debate. That's a great debate, and I I definitely you know am not. I don't think that you know the state is legitimate. The voting process, you know, I don't buy the you know. Oh, you have to vote so you don't complain or whatever. Da 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 da. Um, you know, I knew that kind of my vote wouldn't really count, even if not by election fraud, if just by the fraud of the system of you know exclusions and and everything else like that. So you know, I definitely appreciate all the all, all the arguments for not not voting. But I, you know, it's again again going back to choice. It's my choice, and but you know, I. <laughs> I am very, very disillusioned. So, you know, I knew kind of my vote wasn't really going to change anything. But at the same time, I go out and free other people's minds that aren't libertarians. So we're not talking amongst ourselves. So that we're talking to other people. And that's, you know, the job of grassroots activism is not, you know, not just talking about the party or voting is, you know, talking about the issues, talking about libertarian philosophy, but with other people that don't are that may not even have heard the word libertarian before. And my guest, first guest I want to bring up that I interviewed uh, was Starchild. He's a grassroots activist from San Francisco. He's also a um, bisexual erotic service pres- services provider. And he uh, definitely, you know, does a lot of grassroots activism, just, you know, like by himself talking to people, you know, talking to people about the issues, getting this word out there. He ran for school board once, you know, because we need to reform our school system, not just in the level of spending, but curri- curriculum-wise, you know, like that. I, th- I personally think scantrons and all these things are kind of really robotic and kind of designed to put people in that robotic mindset. Uh, that, that's, you know, exactly, you know, telling people what to think rather than how to think for themselves. And that's where we are completely lost. And yet we, we think that more throwing more money at, you know, a, a failing system is the solution. Um, that's, that's unfortunate. Joining me now is Star Child. He's a libertarian activist and political dissident uh, hailing from San Francisco, California. Uh, Star Child, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alex. The Federal Reserve has given hints of easing their quantitative easing. Um, but it seems like it might, it might just be all hot air and they're just going to print what they want to print and if they haven't been doing that already. Um, so they're going to ease their quantitative easing? Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what do you make of current Federal Reserve pol- policy and just over its history, um, given that it is 100 years old this year? Yeah, yeah. Well, they've uh, successfully destroyed uh, over 96% of the value of the dollar since 1913. So, you know, if you had uh, a dollar today, it could buy you uh, about what four cents could buy you in 1913 of goods that were available for sale both then and now. Uh, So that's, you know, one good measure of their success, uh, success in quotes, of course. as far as their policies, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, it's all behind-the-scenes stuff, and who knows exactly what they're really doing. I mean, when they got a partial audit of the Fed as a result of Ron Paul pushing his audit of the Fed bill, uh, apparently it turned out that they had uh, given $16 trillion to banks, and not just any banks, but uh, non-U.S. banks. Um, I don't recall, or if it even said, whether that those were... Uh, 
loans that, that are going to be paid back to the U.S. government or what the precise deal is there. But $16 trillion is a huge amount of money. That, that's the total roughly acknowledged on the books debt of the U.S. government right now. So the fact that they just gave away that much money, you'd think like they had $16 trillion, they could have used it to maybe pay off the debt mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of giving it to a bunch of foreign bankers. Uh, but that would probably make too much sense for uh, you know people in government that are really just trying to prop up the status quo and enable the continued spending and taxation. Exactly, and um, as someone who uh, really believes that we should have at least the freedom to engage in alternate currencies, um, I've purchased myself uh, rounds of copper that are a little over a dollar, and our pennies used to be made out of copper. Um, <coughs> Does that tell you that the value has dropped by almost 100%? Yeah, see, if you radio listeners hear me and Alex like coughing and sniffling here, we're sitting in the, the warm Sacramento uh, sunshine, but it's uh, heavily laden with pollen and, and allergen-causing substances, apparently. Because <laughs> I don't usually even get allergies, and I'm feeling like all stuffed up. Oh, I, I always have allergies. I've, I've had my nose run on the air. <laughs> better than your mouth running on the air i guess right that's mark levin's job Uh, yeah yeah and a bunch of other people so so does the fact that um when i go to metal metals vendors that are libertarian or or agorist run and it's usually a, a dollar for a round of copper maybe with a little bit of markup and maybe around 90 cents but that that's kind of almost around 100% value decrease between, you know, that means a, a dollar is worth a penny now and the penny's not even made with copper. What, what, what is your take on just that devaluation of, of our, our, our sound money? Well, the, the pennies still have some copper in them, don't they? Or did they take that out entirely now? Oh, they're going to discontinue it, but it has like a zinc core or something like that. It's very, like, very diluted. So, so there is still some copper in them now, but they're planning to get rid of the copper entirely? Yeah. What, what I think of that, it, I don't know, what, what can you say? I mean, it's, it's, the penny is practically worthless at this point. Unless they revalue the currency, it, it doesn't serve much practical purpose. And I guess the Canadians already uh, phased theirs out. So, you know, they keep inflating the currency. It seems like it's only a matter of time before they, they've got to either get rid of it or, or do some kind of devaluation, uh, which I hope they don't do because basically if they do that, it'll be confiscating money from everybody that's already out there. They may say, oh, you can turn in your dollars and, you know, for each, uh, you know, old dollar you turn in, uh, or for each five old dollars you turn in, we'll give you one new one as a way of sort of revaluing the currency to, you know, one-fifth of its, uh, uh, or five times its present value. So, you know, the penny would be worth five times more than it is now, for example. But they could use that very easily as a way to kind of... uh, defraud or rob from people who for one reason or another aren't able to turn their money into the government like if you have a lot of money that you've made through black market sales of substances that have been banned by government for example then it might not be that easy for you to uh, the new money and then you might be just out of luck so something we got to watch out for have you heard of something called the fed experience mm-hmm. The Fed experience uh, is something I actually learned about by reading an article in an in-flight magazine while I was flying to D.C. for the Libertarian National Committee meeting. And what it is is the Federal Reserve Branch in Richmond, Virginia, has developed this thing. It all sounds like kind of like a little mini sort of like uh, 
you know, museum, amusement park kind of thing. It's it's designed to, to have tours of, of uh, you know, students and people like that going through and, and, like, learning about the Federal Reserve and what they do and everything. And just, like, a lot of government <laughs> propaganda, yeah. you know. See so, yeah, how, you know, the Federal Reserve plays a role in fighting inflation. You know, that was, like, particularly ironic given that they, uh, <laughs> the cause of inflation feeding all this money out of thin air. But, uh, yeah, just uh, your tax dollars at work, you know. Yeah. It would be a great place to have a, a libertarian no, protest. I really love that. <laughs> I think the, the Fed experience would be a great place to have a libertarian protest out front because the, the photo they had with this article, they showed like school buses parked outside. It, I think it's the kind of place that they have a lot of school tours coming through there. And so it would be you know, a built-in audience for protesters. And I mean, the last thing I think probably the people running that facility want is for all the people arriving, you know, before they go in and start reading all this government propaganda to be greeted outside by anti-Fed protesters handing out, you know, information about the, the destructiveness of the Federal Reserve over the past century and everything. Exactly. I think, I think that would be great. Because they'd probably call the police or something. <laughs> so the, um, there is a similar kind of central banking problem going on in Cyprus um, in regards to their insolvency fiscally um, that the banks were just going to go in and confiscate um, a certain sum of people's money um, just to pay off government debt. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Is it a crystal ball for what might happen in the U.S.? Well, I, I don't know if you can call it a crystal ball if it's just what might happen, but um, it's certainly something I think people should look at and be concerned about the possibility that um, governments might. I mean, they're, they're basically they're trying to balance their their budgets and uh, get themselves out of this fiscal hole that they've all dug themselves into on the back of the citizens, one way or another. You know, one way obviously is by creating a lot of money out of thin air, which raises the uh, inflation rate for everybody and. Um, sort of imposes that hidden tax on the population, seizing people's like bank account money is a more direct and targeted way of doing it that affects certain individuals. Um, on the other hand, I mean, I've heard that a lot of the, they say 20% of the people, uh, the accounts in Cyprus were, or the money in the accounts in Cyprus were these uh, wealthy Russians, you know, who... Uh, if they're at all connected with the Putin regime, they're not necessarily people I have a lot of sympathy for, but it's not clear either how much, you know, what the situation is there really. And it's a mess, but uh, it really just does show what a house of cards. I mean, after Greece, you know, and before that, Iceland, and then you've got all these other countries, you know, waiting the wings with shaky uh, fiscal situations. And, it seems like about one of the only countries in the world that's in good financial shape is Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And and what, what I think a lot of people in Cyprus have been moving away from their own currency and and actually going over to bitcoins, which is just a sign that they want to go to something that's non-political and it's not really tied to um, such manipulation as governments and central banks are doing with with currencies what does that move um signify of just the freedom for uh, freedom of currency movement i hadn't heard that people in cyprus were using bitcoins but that's awesome i mean i do think digital currencies are, are going to be huge i mean bitcoin's already big news and it seems to be just uh, increasing to go up 
know, it may collapse at some point. I mean, like the dollar is not really based on anything of inherent value. And just Bitcoin will have value as long as people think it has value and are willing to exchange things of value for it. The main sort of advantage that it offers is being an anonymous digital currency that, um, you know, lets you buy and sell without as easily having your purchases tracked by the Fed or federal government, that is, or, or, or say your local governments or taking a portion of your money. But um, I don't really know anything about them using it in Cyprus. Bitcoin is certainly a way to avoid um, oppressive taxation, um, which some may say it's a, like that, that's bad, but what are you really getting away with when, by keeping your own money? Yeah, well, you're, <laughs> that's what you're getting away with doing, is you're getting away with keeping your own money, and they don't want you to be able to do that. The governments uh, do have a real conundrum they face with Bitcoin, because, you know, I predict they will try to criminalize it in one way or another, but apparently it's not going to be that easy to, to catch people who are using Bitcoins, because, you know, unless they really start just, like, seizing people's uh, phones and checking them or something uh, for Bitcoin transactions... Um, you know, it's 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 pretty anonymous, and it's not like someone smoking a joint where you can kind of see them and observe what they're doing. It's like somebody doing something on a laptop or a mobile device of some type. It's not going to be obvious that they're buying or selling bitcoins unless you really go in and start buying on them or seize their equipment. Exactly. And uh, on the topic of, of foreign events, um, let's talk a bit about uh, Korea and, and the situation with North Korea. We have not ever really ended the war. Um, we've had a ceasefire and we've kept our troops over there. Um, do you think these... You've been, you've been keeping troops over there? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know you had troops, Alex. Where do you get these troops? Oh, sorry. <laughs> the government has been keeping troops over there um, since the ceasefire of, of, that, of um, the Korean War. Do you At think... least a couple of governments, I guess, the South Korean government and the U.S. government... Exactly. And, and now they were engaging in foreign exercises. But do you think them being over there uh, is resulting in, in this blowback, which is uh, obviously Kim Jong-un is uh, trying to use this for leverage. But at the same time, if, we, if, they, if the U.S. government was not over there, would they have such a thing to try and leverage for? Well, I, I do think that you know, the North Korean regime is probably the most repressive regime on earth and um, it controls so much of the economy and life over there that uh, North Korea is mired in poverty and they apparently can't uh, feed people there uh, very well without uh, continued foreign aid so a lot of this it's been speculated is just uh, Kim Jong-un trying to uh, manipulate the rest of the world into giving them aid in exchange for not moving ahead with the nuclear weapons. Uh, as far as the U.S. government having troops over there, I have a little bit of an unorthodox position on um, what gets called foreign affairs, really just international affairs. I mean, I don't, I think the sort of foreign domestic is ultimately an artificial distinction because I don't believe in the legitimacy of existing government borders. Uh, you know, and to, so to say, like, well, one set of people who happen to be inside this particular border is us, and people outside are them, and foreigners, and so forth. You know, I don't really accept that distinction. I think if 
government is intervening, say, you know, the U.S. federal government is intervening in Los Angeles or Chicago to stop riots, protect life, liberty, property, whatever, uh, that to me is no inherently better or worse than the U.S. government doing the same thing outside the United States, uh, except perhaps to the fact that the, when it's doing things in an area where the people who... Uh, elect people the U.S. government don't live, then there's maybe a little bit less visibility and accountability there as to what they're doing. I mean, uh, the drone attacks that have been going on, which I don't support, uh, you know, anywhere. Uh, well, let me take that back. I would support them, I think, with due process if they're going after people who've actually been convicted of real crimes. Um, you know, that can be convicted in absentia. I think they should have tried bin Laden in absentia. You know, presumably would have been able to get a conviction against him. And then at that point, I think a, a drone strike or some sort of surgical operation to take him out would have been legitimate and proper if they couldn't uh, safely capture him and bring him into justice and stand trial. But... Um, a lot of civilians have been killed in these drone strikes in Pakistan, so obviously they're not using due care, and I think they're they're going after not just high-profile targets, but, you know, just probably whoever they think they can get a lead on, because there's, there's not very much price that is being paid, because uh, there's not that visibility and accountability. So the people that authorize these strikes, uh, you know, we don't even know who they are, except for President Obama, who's ultimately the one in charge, but... The people making individual decisions of who to target, you know, where to send the drones out to kill people today, we don't know who those people are. They're, they're faceless and unaccountable. That's part of the problem with lack of transparency in government. Exactly. Or we didn't know that the U.S. government has had a, a drone base over in Saudi Arabia. Um, there, and probably the level of troops that the U.S. government has stationed around the world is probably um, unbeknownst to us for, for some of them. What do you think the effect would be of, of bringing the troops home from Korea starting tomorrow and, and ending the game of you know military exercises that are bringing about these sort of agitations of a country we don't really need to be agitating? Well, it would certainly help in terms of uh, reducing U.S. government debt and spending. To be completely honest... Uh, U.S. government withdrawing all its troops from South Korea, it might actually increase the, the likelihood of war there. Um, you know, the, again, this is not an orthodox libertarian position, but I'm just trying to be realistic about it. I mean, a lot of people in this country, the problem is that people tend to look at these things through a nationalistic viewpoint and only consider the effects on liberty in the United States, because I try to consider the effects on liberty worldwide of these different decisions. Uh, Sometimes U.S. government not being involved in a particular war um, isn't necessarily going to mean the end of that war. It might even create a power vacuum where there ends up being more killing. Um, that's not to say that U.S. intervention is a good thing in the first place. I mean, as long as it's taxpayer, you know, financed by coercive taxation none of it is moral. I mean, even if government is doing things that are helping in the world, if they're doing it with money stolen, you know, at threat of ultimately gunpoint shooting, killing people if they don't pay, then uh, that's a real problem, and, and I can't ultimately support it. But that being said, you know, once the money's already been taken, you know, in a given situation, is it a good idea? I mean, say there were, you know... Go back to the Los Angeles riots in 1992. Um, 
would it have been a good idea in the midst of uh, those uprisings with you know people looting and so forth on the streets? Would it have been a good idea for government to just unilaterally immediately withdraw all its troops without there being any kind of a civil libertarian solution effectively in place? You know, maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't have been the best thing in that scenario. Or maybe it would have. Maybe it would have taught people an important lesson. You can't rely on government. You know, you better buy your guns and, and form your neighborhood, uh, you know, voluntary associations for mutual self-aid and this sort of thing. It's kind of hard to say, but I think it's a question that, that needs to be asked. And, um, you know, if I was living in South Korea with, you know, a hostile North Korean regime not far away and, you know, tons of troops just across the demilitarized line, I might not necessarily want the U.S. troops leaving and that security blanket gone. It might not make me feel safer and be able to sleep better at night. But I'm just saying. I would definitely agree um, that, and especially when it comes to Afghanistan, that if we leave, the things that are going to happen, but we're going to have to leave eventually and we're going to, uh, I mean, the government's going to have to leave eventually. <laughs> you know what I was going to say. <laughs> I thought we were having lunch in Sacramento. I didn't know we were in Afghanistan. The, the government's going to face that fiscal reality, and they're going to have to bring the troops home eventually. And, and especially in regards to L.A. riot, there was actually people initiating force on other people. But uh, in in Korea and in Afghanistan, these countries aren't threatening us. They may be threatening the government at some point. But well, again, I think we got to be careful here because you know it is there's this tendency to look at it from a nationalist point of view, like, oh, well, okay, those people aren't threatening us, meaning people in the United States. But Therefore, the government's threatening them. Right. Well, the Taliban regime that was uh, ruling Afghanistan until the U.S. government invaded and overthrew it was, again, one of the worst regimes in the world, I think, no question. I mean, yeah. they were brutally misogynistic, you know, denying young girls the right to be educated, you know, Women can't leave the home without a male relative accompanying them, walking around in the streets, this kind of thing. You know, destroying thousands of years old, uh, you know, world heritage, uh, archaeological sites. Uh, you know, it was just a, not to mention, of course, sheltering uh, Al-Qaeda, the terrorist group, and Osama bin Laden and everything. I mean, they needed to be overthrown. Having a government overthrow them was not the best approach, and... Certainly having U.S. government troops over there uh, on a continuing basis I don't think is doing any good. The majority of people in Afghanistan want them gone. Um, that should be one big litmus test. You know, If the majority of people in the area don't want government presence there, that's probably a good uh, sign that the, the government presence is not helping the overall situation. Uh, so I, I definitely favor with, <coughs> excuse me, withdrawing the... U.S. government troops from Afghanistan as soon as possible. Oh, just, just how it, uh, the, the analogy of of the um, L.A. riots, at least people there oh, yes, are, people. are initiating force, whereas... Well, people in Afghanistan were certainly initiating force, too. I mean, uh, the Taliban were initiating force against people, and they, they still are, as a, as a rebel movement today, trying to regain power. They're uh, committing atrocities and um, initiating force against civilians, no question. I, th I think, on average, they're probably uh, you know worse than the, the NATO forces when it comes to deliberately targeting. I, I think NATO uh, kills a lot of people uh, by 
basically kind of sloppy warfare methods of, of not wanting to put their own soldiers at risk, and so they drop bombs or engage in, in types of military action that uh, results in more civilian casualties. And, and you can make the argument that, well, that's really the same thing as what the terrorists are doing. But I, I do draw a distinction between uh, deliberately trying to kill civilians as a tactic versus civilians dying because you weren't careful in the way that you were going about uh, uh, military operations, partly because you were trying to protect the lives of, of your own soldiers. I mean, some people might say, well, it's morally equivalent. I, I don't think it is quite morally equivalent. I, I think deliberately targeting civilians is a lot worse. Not that the other is, is excusable either, but I do make a distinction there. And, and yeah, definitely the Taliban were initiating force, and, and so I, I don't see, again, a qualitative difference there between that and Los Angeles as far as the case morally for some government to intervene. Exactly. I, I, I was meaning more the the citizens of Afghanistan, not, not the Taliban, because they, they certainly suffered from a war-torn country. Yeah. I mean, the citizens, um, you know, the ones who are not engaging in force initiation of the, the real victims over in Afghanistan and other war zones, we have these um, belligerent groups, governments and rebels and so on, fighting each other. Uh, and like I said, at this point, I do think it would be a better solution for the U.S. government's troops to be removed from that area than for them to stay there. But I do kind of think that that question has to be examined on a case-by-case basis. Exactly. Looking at looking at everything um, uh, rationally. This is not, you know, I'm not speaking wearing my Libertarian Party hat here because this is not the Libertarian Party's position. The Libertarian Party interprets the non-aggression principle as meaning that um, no government should intervene militarily outside its own jurisdiction. And um, I respect that interpretation. I, I personally uh, see it in a somewhat different light, but um, certainly a lot of aggression is not. What, what do you think the consequence will be of, of the foreign policy of the United States government continuing uh, both financially for the U.S. and just abroad of what it does to people? Well, I think there will be uh, continued, to, you know, to use Ron Paul's term that you used earlier, blowback. Uh, on some of these policies. It's, it's sort of hard to predict overall. And it definitely is very, very hard to predict. Not sure what, um, you know, just as it's all very kind of um, chaotic and in, in going into Libya and then the CIA being on the ground and that causing the retaliation in Benghazi. So we don't, we don't know where this is going to happen, just like I'm sure we didn't know that the U.S. government creating Al-Qaeda in, in the 80s would lead to 9-11, or that, for that matter, the 93 World Trade Center bombing. We should definitely be very, very careful where we where we tread on in the world and what new conflicts we start, uh, who we fuel or fund or whatever. But again, that was my guest, Starchild. Be sure to check him out on the internet. He, he often uh, just search Starchild Libertarian in Google and you can find uh, uh, his work and, and everything else like that. But it is a little after 8.30. Time for the news. So I talked about North Korea threatening nuclear strikes. I talked about Diane Feinstein doing a Neo-PMRC in regards to video games. A, a total extortion. A bunch of different um, other news stories. 
but uh, where I left off, uh, many states have begun nullifying legal tender laws. And this is something that I support so, so much. Arizona recognized gold, silver, copper bullion as currency in 2011. Dozens of states are now attempting to escape the Federal Reserve's massive scam by allowing for the unenforcement of legal tender laws. Now, I would go a step further than just recognizing gold and silver bullion. Just repeal the legal tender laws. Don't centrally plan what kind of currencies could be used. Let the people decide for themselves. Let them, if somebody's so suicidal enough to stick with the U.S. dollar, let them. Let the businesses that are suicidal enough to stick with the U.S. dollar. Go ahead. But if an employer wants to pay their employee or accept gold, silver, copper, Bitcoin, let them. Oh, it's a free country. Why not? Why does the Federal Reserve have to have a monopoly on currency? Ron Paul launches a homeschool curriculum. Uh, former Republican congressman and three-time presidential candidate Ron Paul has launched his own K-12 homeschool curriculum to provide an education in liberty like no other. The curriculum, which includes courses on the economics of the Austrian school, provides its K-5 program for free meaning that students and families will be able to learn under Ron Paul for six years without spending a dime. According to one of the curriculum's high school teachers, Ludwig von Mises Institute senior fellow Tom Woods. Bitcoin surge continues, and a New York bar is accepting Bitcoin for booze, um, which is awesome. Um, let me pull out my iPod here. Pull up the latest price in Bitcoin. For you. Hopefully it refreshes in time. 190. Bitcoin has been um, hovering at around 180 to 190 in the yesterday or the day before. Obviously raise it, going up from last week I talked it was just above 100. Uh, and servers at the New York City bar EVR spent Sunday night learning how customers can use the vir virtual currency Bitcoin to pay their bar tabs. According to a CNN article, I'm surprised, surprised that CNN even picked up on this. WikiLeaks uh, to release 1.7 million U.S. records. The data, which has not yet been leaked, comprises diplomatic records from the beginning of 1973 to the end of 1976, covering a variety of diplomatic traffic including cables, intelligence reports, and congressional correspondence. Montana lawmakers debate legalizing homosexu homosexuality. From Watchdog.org, Republican members of the Montana House Judici Judiciary Committee voted Thursday to table a bill that would have legalized homosexuality in the state. Not gay marriage, but homosexuality itself. Washington State is cracking down on marijuana bars. A Seattle cop busted for hitting a handcuffed man. The Seattle police officer was charged Wednesday with misdemeanor assault for allegedly hitting a handcuffed man being detained by police officers. The DEA is complaining about Apple iPhone text messaging encryption. They can't illegally spy on people looking for arbitrary keywords like drugs or marijuana or slang. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Historian claims that FDR caused deaths of many Jews during World War II. Raphael Medoff has authored historical accounts of FDR's anti-Semitism, which may have caused him to put strict quotas on immigration, preventing people from escaping from Europe into the United States. 
The ACLU is saying that gun control thwarts privacy and civil liberties. A top lobbyist for the ACLU announced that the group thinks Harry Reid's current gun bill could threaten both privacy rights and civil liberties. The inclusion of universal background checks, the poll-tested linchpin of most Democratic proposals, raises two significant concerns, said ACLU's Chris Calabresi. A majority of Americans support legalizing cannabis. In a Pew Research poll, 52% of Americans say yes. The CISPA cybersecurity bill gets secret amendments, as if, it couldn't, as if that bill couldn't get any more scarier or Orwellian. They use the excuse of not wanting to leak classified information for keeping the amendment process secret. 700 special ops vets demand investigation into Benghazi. A former Navy SEAL and Green Beret have recently come out to the DailyMail.co.uk to say, in fact, the CIA was on the ground in Libya and their operations, which involved killing people, you know, guns and uh, guns ablazing, caused the retaliation on the embassy. That the anti-Muslim film was just, you know, kind of a tipping point, but of insignificance to the motive of the attack. In international news. The Al-Qaeda chief urges Syrian rebels to establish an Islamic state in Syria. Now, the U.S. has been backing the Syrian rebel for some time, which includes Al-Qaeda in their rankings. The U.S. is thus supporting Al-Qaeda in their efforts to turn Syria into a radical Islamic state, further evidence of the U.S. foreign policy being the driver of radical Islam. Because, again, you know, Aside from the racist bigotry in this country, Islam is not what, you know, 24 Jack Bauer purports it to be. Not all Islam is radical Islam. The U.S. government funded and aided al-Qaeda, Mujahideen, and the Taliban in the 80s to fight against the Soviets. They literally gave them their financial and military training start. Saudi Arabia wanted us to go to war with Iraq. We gave them tons of foreign aid and we're buddy-buddy with them. The American nationalist narrative is that all Middle Eastern countries are the same. They're all terrorists, when in fact the opposite is true. There are many peaceful nations or peaceful people being oppressed by U.S. and Saudi co collusion. Like Yemen, whose government allows us to drop bombs on the Yemeni people. Palestine, which our tax dollars go to the blockade. Bahrain, where we are in bed with the government that oppresses its own people using tear ganisters that come from the U.S., paid for by the U.S., and more. The foreign policy we ha that our government has is an irrational way of, of playing chess haphazardly with the world's affairs. The CIA made a deal with Pakistan to allow for drone strikes. Uh, I forget what year it is, but earlier before these drone strikes even started to occur, Pakistan okayed them, uh, okayed the U.S. drone campaign over the northern tribal areas due to a deal made with Pakistan's ISI and the U.S.'s CIA. Egypt suspends tourist flights from Iran. Egypt has suspended tourist flights from Iran, allowing an outcry from hardline Sunni Muslims uh, angered about visitors from the mostly Shiite country. Only a week after direct flights between the two countries resumed for the first time in more than three decades. The Egyptian government has also been t towing U.S. interests more and more. The weather outside here in San Marcos is 58 degrees. And there are no 
there's actually a 46 mile per hour slowdown at the five northbound at the 76. Um, broadcasting live from KKSM for KKSM and LRN.FM. That has been your news. Up next is an author I interviewed at the convention. His name is L.K. Samuels, and he writes a few a few books on on liberty and and the philosophy. But he recently wrote a book about chaos theory and uh, you know the just the notion that humans don't need you know a ruler to tell us what we can or can't do in our lives that we'll get along just fine and still do things the same without some person who just wants personality worship to tell us. I know what's best for you better than you do, so I'm going to use force to make that so. Um, so take a listen to what he has to say. Joining me now is L.K. Samuels. He is the author of In Defense of Chaos and um, is a libertarian writer. And uh, his new book is about uh, chaos theory and why humans don't need central planners. Uh, Lawrence, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. So, discuss what chaos theory is in a nutshell for our listeners. Well, that's, that's, that's hard to put just in a few words. Originally, it started with the, with the idea that little things have big effects, which science did not believe could happen. And uh, out of that came the, the butterfly effect. Um, part of chaos theory is complexity science, which tries to, um, that's the ability to, to, uh, to sort of uh, prove chaos or some of the things that come from it. And uh, uh, that's, uh, well, go on. Uh, why do you think that order happens in the absence of a central authority or a central plan? Uh, well, when you have basically two types of orders. Well, okay, let me go back, step a little back further. Chaos is needed. You wouldn't have the universe. You wouldn't have planets. You wouldn't have anything without chaos. Because with chaos is something that you've done or something that happens never happened before. Order is nothing but repetition of the same thing over and over again. Now, uh, some people think that if you're doing something over and over again, you go back to the same restaurant every time, well, hey, it's something good. But serial killers uh, have a, an order. They kill the, the person the same way they did before. So it doesn't mean that order is always good. Um, so, okay, now we got out, out, out of that. Um, um, so what's the question again? Um, how, how does, you know, in, in regards to the term spontaneous order, that we, okay. na we naturally do things without the need, well, there's still, there's still technically chaos, but chaos doesn't always okay. mean like that. What you have is you have unstructured order and structured order. Unstructured order is the spontaneous order, things that just happen, self-organization, people come together to do things. Structured order is imposed order. That's when the government comes down and says, you gotta, your order has to be such and such. We don't care that you've created an organization and it's orderly that fits what you want. want. We're going to tell you what to do. So that's a trouble with, uh, you got to look at order in two, in two ways, imposed and the one that voluntarily comes together. And that goes to show the morals of using force against other people to get their way. Um, how does the, your studying of ants relate to why humans shouldn't be treated this way by 
Uh, now you're talking about swarm intelligence. Uh, people come up and say, well, show us an area where there's unstructured order, something that's sophisticated, and that's where swarm intelligence. And start off with robots in, in, 18, uh, in 1989 to see what many dumb robots can come up with with very loose um, uh, protocols on it. And they created a sort of shared knowledge, a collective wisdom. So dumb things that come together and create uh, sophistication. And that's what like the ants do down, or the termites do in Zimbabwe. They're very sophisticated and the tunnels they built and opening up and closing them to create the fungus uh, that they live on. And the fungus has to be something like 80, 80, 68 degrees all the time. And of course, if you know Zimbabwe, it's really hot in the day, cold at night. So here's a very sophisticated system without any central authority. Exactly. And that shows that even simple creatures such as ants going back to advanced creatures such as humans who have the capacity for morality and peace should be able to be... Should be able to do it, but there's a problem. The reason dumb things come up with, with uh, good observation because they're too stupid to be abstract. In other words, they see as is, not what it could be. Unfortunately, with humans, the more intelligent you are, the more tendency for you to lie. Basically. So that creates the need to use force upon other That's, people. Yeah, because you're not getting what you want, and therefore i got to tell people or force people to do certain things because I'm right and you're wrong, and, and I have this abstract utopia, and it's going to be beautiful, and you, bet you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. you know? So <laughs> there's, no, there's no ant trying to kill all the no, other ants. That's right, because they, they're not into abstract. They're into what is. There's food over here. There's a danger over there. They all see it. And, you know, and they're not going to try to lie because they don't have, you know, they're, tr they're truth-seeking. They're not goal-seeking. Where can people find you and your uh, works online? Uh, it's, it's the three W's, lksamuels.com. Uh, awesome. L.K. Samuels, thank you very much for joining the program. Okay, thanks. And, uh, again, check out his new book, In Defense of Chaos. I want to get to a few songs um, before we, uh, we head out. The uh, let me get some who were who was on the program tonight. Uh, Medea Benjamin of Code Pink and Barry from San Diego Veterans for Peace were on in the first hour. Done both live at Drone Diego uh, outside of General Atomics facility during that protest. The second hour, I had Jason Ditz. He's the news editor of AntiWar.com. We talked about a lot of different foreign policy issues, um, very diverse range of them. So definitely a very interesting one to check out. And then the third hour, I had Star Child and just now author L.K. Samuels. So be sure to check out the iTunes page. Free, uh, look for Free Thought and look for Free Thought AAC. And next week, my guest is Gary Johnson, the former governor of New Mexico and the libertarian presidential candidate for the year 2012. He got over 1.3 million votes. And combined, all the alternative party candidates probably got over 2 million votes. So that's 2 million people flipping the bird to the two-party system, let alone all the people that don't vote on purpose because they're disillusioned with the system rather than the people that don't vote out of apathy or that they haven't even registered to vote. So there is definitely a lot. And the people that did, a lot of people voted with clothespins on their nose for Obama and Romney. People that I've talked to about Gary Johnson say, oh, I love Gary Johnson, but I, gotta, I have to vote for one or the other. Or Jill, or same with Jill Stein. You know, that's 
So people were aware. It's not like they voted because they weren't aware. They were aware of these guys. They just uh, they unfortunately didn't cast their vote for someone that actually would respect their rights, not someone that lies to them and say, "Please give me your vote." Don't insult your your own intelligence in 2016 either. Don't vote. You know, do the protest thing that the anarch that anarchists do, which is definitely a very good statement. Or don't vote for the liars. Don't don't vote for those guys anymore. And then again, also divest out of their dollars too with Bitcoin or, or hard currency. And then live your own life as freely as possible. Forget the state in your mind. You know, do things peacefully and you'll, you know, we kind of live our lives, you know, without the state, even for status. You know, I don't think people go around thinking, oh, I love the government. What is the government going to do for me now every second of their lives? People still live on and do their own, live their way, you know. Music is, I think, one of those ways, and I definitely very much am a lover of art, and I think with good art, art of substance, you can really um, ex expand your life and your worldliness. That kind of brings me to this title of this first song, uh, which is World War Three by Exciter. It's from their album Heavy Metal Maniac, but I do believe it's from their initial EP or demo, World War Three. And then after that, Veil of Maya by Cynic, and they're a very ethereal, progressive death metal band. Again, Paul Masvidal, Sean Reinert were in the Death Human album before they created, before they first recorded the first Cynic album. They're going to be on the Death to All tour, um, and this weekend is in uh, in Hollywood, California, at least here closest to San Diego, at the House of Blues. So be sure to check that out. They're very ethereal, very trippy. Again, I think Cynic will definitely increase people's worldliness <laughs> but um be sure to check out freethoughtmedia.org check out the facebook twitter youtube and be sure to tune in next week monday 6 to 9 p.m on kksm or throughout the week podcasting on lrn.fm the liberty radio network you've been listening to free thought radio this is world war three by exciter and then after that veil of maya by cynic take care guys and good night